You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 509. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on Lincoln's birthday, the 12th of February, 2022. In today's episode, Frontier and Spirit want to merge. Seven people die in the crash of a tourist plane in Peru. More news, your feedback, and today's plain tale, the life-saving bomb. So get all settled in. Train tables, <laughs> seat backs, in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices Fix powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 509 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. Come on, let's all say it together. New York City! There we go, New, New York, York City. City. Welcome to the... Uh, welcome. Oh that was a bad idea. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Show. <laughs> Wait a minute. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. <laughs> and an, uh, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, and I'm a pilot believe it or not, at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me today from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. He is a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff and everybody. Lovely to be back on the show after a small break while I was testing my new wings. Ah. Well, we'll hear all about it in the Getting to Know Us segment. Can't wait. And also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer-director, it's Liz Piper. Everybody, happy Saturday or Sunday if you're in New Zealand. Yeah, or whatever day it is that you're listening. Happy, happy, happy day. And also joining us from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry from Wichita, Kansas, Nick Camacho. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. Usually it's uh, Captain Nick complaining about the timeliness of the show, but... This time, uh, I guess I'm the Nick that gets to complain about. Uh, There'll be no the complaining here. The show. Oh, you're <laughs> out of here. Off with your head. All right, let's uh, let's talk some news here. And what Where's happened that to Nick? Nick? A gone. <laughs> Nick is gone. He's had it with us. Apparently, I said something <laughs> to upset him. Um, he's taken umbrage. Yeah, he's just blacked himself out for some reason. Hmm. Well, there oh, he is. He's back. 
Oh, sorry about that. The uh, my wife has just returned, and of oh. course the dogs start barking because it's very exciting. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, okay. So we all we all set to go with this yep. whole news thing. All right, let's do some aviation news. Stand by for news. Let's start off with this first item in news. Uh, 11 dead in two tourist plane crashes in Iceland and Peru. Uh, The first article is from IcelandReview.com, which I like to read on occasion. Search and rescue teams have found the sightseeing plane that went missing around midday on Thursday. The craft was found in, hmm, I have no idea how to pronounce this because I don't even know what that letter is at the beginning of the word. It kind of looks like what a P. The v? I don't know. Or is it, what is that? That's a weird letter. Oh. That okay. lake, the name of the lake. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, there's a lake there in um, Iceland. In Iceland. Thank you. I, um, I, if it's a P, it would be Ping Valavatn. Ping Valavatn. I guess. Or, or is a but B? But I don't know if that is pronounced like a P. I don't either. Maybe our, maybe like our Icelandic fans can yeah. send in. Yeah, which is something that happens to me occasionally. <laughs> if, if we have any Icelandic uh, folk um, listening to the show, uh, send us some feedback and tell us exactly what that strange looking letter is and how you would pronounce it. Anyway, uh, the craft was found in this uh, lake by a remote controlled submarine at 11 p.m. on Friday night. There were uh, four casualties in the crash. An experienced Icelandic pilot, three foreign tourists who were from Belgium, the Netherlands, and the U.S., respectively. Nearly 1,000 people took part in the search, including around 900 search and rescue team members. The Coast Guard, wow, 900 search and rescue team members, Coast Guards, helicopter, and special operations squadrons, police officers, members of civil protection, the National Police Commissioner, special squadron, employees of uh, Isavia, the National Airport and Air Service Provider of Iceland, as well as private individuals. Uh, In its announcement about the discovery of the plane, the Coast Guard thanked all those who had taken part in the search for their selfless and dedicated work under demanding conditions. And so they're uh, doing the investigation to figure out what happened. As of uh, the time of this article, uh, there was not any indication of what caused the accident. No, nor was it known if there was a black box on board that could potentially shed light on the circumstances of the crash. I highly doubt it because this airplane was a Cessna 172. So probably not any kind of flight data recorder or cockpit voice recorder. Uh, let's see. South Island Iceland police had advised that poor weather conditions and difficult conditions at that lake would make it unlikely that they would be able to extract the plane before next week. Uh, They found the uh, airplane in the southeastern part of the lake at a considerable distance from the shoreline and a depth of 48 meters, which is 157 feet approximately. This is a difficult depth for divers to work at, not to mention that the water temperature ranges between zero and minus one C. That's cold. Uh, Very cold. Um, So, um, yeah, it looks like a sightseeing tour plane uh 
crashed for some reason. We don't know why. Tell us um, about the pilot, Jeff. Oh, the pilot uh, that was um, the experienced Icelandic pilot is also the president of the Airline uh, Pilots Association. Uh, ex- no, 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 the, the aircraft, aircraft owners, aircraft and, owners and, and pilots association. Owners and pilots association. Yeah, AOPA, uh, Iceland. Um, the president of that f- organization. Nick's flashing. Nick is flashing. Oh, we'll tell him to cover himself yeah, up. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to reset my camera. I shouldn't have okay. the audio. All right. Um, so, yeah, his name is uh, Haraldur Diago, was a passionate advocate for general aviation in Iceland, the leader of AOPA Iceland, and a pilot who operated a sightseeing business that produced countless images of volcanoes and other spectacular scenery. So that's... Uh, yeah, he was the pilot in command of the sightseeing flight, and uh, apparently uh, quite a quite a distinguished record. Um, he was uh, a Royal Danish Bombardier Challenger 604. No, that I'm sorry, that was uh, something else. They called that in for surveillance. Anyway, yep. um, so we're not sure what happened there, but uh, it was a Cessna. Keep that in mind because. Our next article is from another uh, website I like to visit, channelnewsasia.com. Let's see. Five tourists and two crew died Friday, February 4, when their plane crashed on a trip to view Peru's famous, is it Nazca lines or Nazca lines? Not sure. Not sure. Liz, you have any idea? Nazca, I think. Nazca. The Cessna 207 single-engine plane belonging to the Arasantos Tourism Company came down shortly after takeoff from the small airport of Maria Arisha in Nazca around noon. There were no survivors among the seven on board. The tourists were two Chileans and three people from the Netherlands, the Civil Defense Office in Nazca said. Dozens of planes operate from the Maria Arisha. Airfield, flying tourists, mainly foreigners over the Nazca Lines, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. The fabled lines, one of Peru's top tourist attractions, were etched into the desert floor some 220 miles south of Lima between 500 B.C. and 500 A.D., according to UNESCO, and depict animals, plants, imaginary beings, and geometric figures several kilometers long. Uh, The Cessna crashed as it was beginning its aerial tour of the site. Excuse me, Liz? Another Cessna. Oh, yeah. Another, another Cessna. Cessna. Um, so, um, now, it was a different um, news organization that had some kind of a headline about two Cessna crashes in the last week. Like, like there's something, you know, like we have to be, have to, to really be... I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Terrified. Cautious Terrified. flying in Cessnas. All the Cessnas are falling out of the sky. I know. What are we going to do? Ground Single engine ones. To be, so if it, you're, by the way, I guess this would be a good public service announcement. If you're a, a pilot and you fly the Cessna, like a, a single engine Cessna, I, I wouldn't get in it. Because look, <laughs> these two just crashed. Sell that, sell that plane immediately. Yeah, sell well, it. it. It is just the most common aircraft of its type. Really, right. just about anywhere in the world, and I don't think there are many pilots, certainly from Western countries, that completed all their flying training without setting foot in a Cessna. So, I mean, they are unbelievably um, 
common, numerous. And ubiquitous. Uh, and a fine trainer and a fine airplane. So nothing wrong with the Cessna. I know. And if you look at the, like the, uh, what is it, the uh, uh, error safety network, uh, it's too early for me to be doing this darn show. <laughs> uh, aviation, aviation safety network, is that what it's called? Uh, that has yes, all the data for incidents, accidents, and that kind of thing. I mean, just look at any particular day and you'll see several Cessnas that have had issues or crashes or incidents. Um, Interesting point yeah. from Sam here. Oh, Sam uh, says, and from our live audience, the 207 is a six-seat airplane. Very interesting. There were seven people in it. Uh, yeah, I think it's actually a seven-seat airplane. Oh. Uh, the 206 is a six-seat airplane. The 207 oh. is kind of stretched if you if you look at it. Oh, and uh, yeah. maybe they call they it a 207. One in the baggage, yeah. in the baggage compartment. Okay. But I guess the whole point of this was, I guess it was a simple flying um, article, Liz, is that right? right? Yeah. That we were looking at that like made it seem like, oh no, Simpleton flying. like, you know, the 737 max, like two 737 maxes crashed. Two Cessnas crashed. There must be something going on. Uh, But no, it's just. And, you know, if you looked through all of the flying and uh, all of the actual incident reports, probably more than two Cessnas um, had some sort of incidents. Over Every the course day. of the week, just because of the, yeah, just because, like Nick said, the volume of them. Well, you know what? The type of flying they do. A lot of trainers, so. Okay. I'm going to hope. Hopefully, not many as, uh, hopefully, not many as um, bad as these two, but. Okay. Let's see. I'm just going to go in here to the aviationsafety.net website and uh, looking for, oh, hmm. This is a bad idea to do this while we're recording live uh, because I have yet to see. Oh, here's a Cessna 172 Skyhawk. Um, that was uh, the Aerodromo Canal Bajo Carlos. I don't know where this is. On the 10th of February, here's another Cessna 210 Turbo in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. A Cessna 172 Skyhawk on oh, the 9th. Mike has got a point here, though, Jeff. Was it a Cessna Max? Oh, it was. Oh, uh, yeah. Micah has a good point. Uh, not yeah. the Cessna Max, I hope. Well, uh, could I, have been. Could have been. Could have been. Anyway, yeah. the point, of course, is that uh, there. You know, there are a lot of Cessnas out there. Micah says they sink like a stone. A lot of uh, a lot of crashes um, around the world but, every day. Yeah. Uh, to Sam's point, you know, I, I think you know what he was kind of getting at was how the airplane was loaded. I don't think there's any information in there talking about what actually caused the crash. I don't think they know yet, mm-hmm. but no, that is a seven seat airplane. A lot of times these smaller general aviation airplanes have a number of seats and then they have a capability of what they can carry. And those don't always line up, mm-hmm. especially as, you know, people have gotten bigger over time. I think an FAA standard person used to be 170 pounds. Um, just what they used for calculations and, and stuff for engineering. Um, and I was looking, I was trying to get a feel for what the useful load on a 207 is. And it looks like it's around 16 or 1700 pounds, you know? So if you got seven people on there, um, some of them are maybe a little bit bigger. It, it does seem like, uh, it would have been a pretty heavy airplane. Even if, even if they weren't overloaded, they were probably flying around, um, max pretty close weight. to the top end of the envelope. But like a 
like I said, I don't think we have any indication that that's what caused it. Just kind of an interesting note to me too, to see there were seven people in the airplane. Hmm. That is interesting. All right. Well, I don't know if we're going to, well, hopefully we'll learn what happened there, but uh, you know, because it's not a commercial aviation incident, um, sometimes we don't really not in North America. hear a lot about it, especially if it's not here in North America. But um, anyway, if we get yeah. any more information about it, we'll probably cover it. I mean, particularly the AOPA um, president, because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get uh, to be the president of a country's uh, AOPA organization without being a well-respected pilot with a great deal of experience. Uh, so, you know, I doubt very much that he made a mistake. We can't say that for sure, but uh, it might well have been a mechanical problem. Yep. And uh, let's see, Nettie Sigun uh, says, uh, like the Cherokee 6 Lance, the Cessna 207 has three rows of seats in a 232 configuration. Yeah, and, the, you know, the other thing that I, I was thinking about with that, the 172 crash. I, so I didn't, you know, we flew an airplane over to Europe a few years ago. I didn't do any of the actual uh, transatlantic flying, but I was involved in all the training and everything. So I, I learned a fair amount about the overwater operations and everything. And, you know, there's just no time. When the water is that cold, there's just no time to accomplish anything. And uh, I, I would think that if you had an issue and you ended up with an airplane in the water, it seems like you'd be lucky to get, you know, the front seat people out because they're right next to the doors. But in a four-place Cessna with four people in it, um, man, it sure seems like it'd be a challenge to get people out of the back of that airplane in a timely yeah. manner with the water that cold. It seems like a bad situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bad. And it, even if you got out, your time of survival uh, from the middle of a lake would be yep. you know, measured low. in a small number of minutes. Yep. Yeah. That temperature. By the yeah. way, uh, Nettie Seagoon in the chat room, uh, you may not recognize the name. It comes from an old comedy show, English comedy oh. show called The Goons. The Goons yeah. uh, oh. A 50s comedy show. So. Thank you, okay. Nettie Seagoon. I didn't think you were still alive. Huh. And he's listening to the APG. That's amazing. I know. It's remarkable. <laughs> Nettie's got another good point here, too. Oh, Nettie has another good point, Liz says, especially in Peru at high altitudes, a fully loaded Cessna 207 would yep. have, uh, yeah. It's performance. It's yeah, performance. I, was, I was trying to figure that out, too. It, it I, I didn't see any mention of, of how high it was because I was, I was thinking about that as well. But, uh, you know, it did say it crashed in the in a deserty type of area, I thought. No, no, I can't even find that line. But, you know, here, like in our, you know, we have some high desert areas down in the southwest where the terrain is fairly high, seven or 8,000 feet. So that could also mm-hmm. be a, a, a factor. Well, really, the main reason why we were covering it is because, uh, you know, it was two Cessnas that crashed like within a couple of days of each other. The Nazca yeah. lines themselves are at 502 meters. Okay. Uh, Liz says that the Nazca lines themselves are at 502 meters altitude. Oh. So what is that, so about 1,700 feet or something? Yeah, it's not yeah. very high. That isn't, I guess. Very, yeah. that isn't real high. Well, anyway. Okay. I think on. that's enough. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully uh, learn more as time goes on from both of those incidents. 
here's something that's been in the news, especially here in the United States, uh, two uh, low-cost carriers, so-called Frontier and Spirit, um, announce a merger plan to become the fifth largest airline in the U.S. This from the paddleyourowncanoe.com. A lot of uh, news articles from that. Um, let's see. The airlines presented the merger as a big win for consumers because it will not only drive an estimated $1 billion in annual savings that can be used for lower fares, but will enable the new airline to more aggressively compete against the likes of American, Delta, Acme, and United Airlines. Um, they didn't actually say Acme. I threw that in there. Anyway, um, Frontier uh, is controlled by Indigo Partners, a private equity company that also owns the Chilean ULCC JetSmart and has major stakes in Mexico's Valaris and Europe's Wizz Air. Indigo Partners say uh, says it drove the merger talks between Frontier and Spirit. We work jointly with the board of directors and senior management team across both carriers to arrive at a combination of two complementary businesses that together will create America's most competitive ultra-low fare airline for the benefit of consumers. Uh, let's see. They said it was a perfect fit with complementary route networks and an all Airbus fleet. So, uh, yeah. So it looks like uh, if it's approved by... The Department of Justice, I think, is that what? Oh, no, so. what is it that uh, looks at commerce. that? Uh, Isn't it yeah, commerce? In the, uh, you, what is it? Commerce? Commerce Department. Department of Commerce, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're going to look at and see whether or not, because, you know, I think that they kind of poo-pooed the whole idea between American and JetBlue to kind of be more closely allied uh, in the past. So people are wondering whether or not this one is going to, you know, you think it's going to fly? <laughs> if it's going to fly. Thank you, Liz. Very funny. Um, but, you know, I would agree, you know, Frontier Airlines here in the U.S. is mostly concentrated in the western portion of the states, although they do go, you know, to several locations uh, on the east coast as well. Um, but uh, Spirit is mostly concentrated in the eastern half of the U.S., so I can really see that this would be quite a... Uh, Quite a good match, I guess. Do you uh, believe them when they say that they this uh, merger would drive a one billion dollar annual savings? Where are they going to save a billion dollars? I don't know. And then exactly, what are the what is the save one billion annual savings? I mean, for them? Um, yeah, I was going to say. If anything, it seems like maybe for them, right? Uh, and of course, I'm they, sure they'd like completely translate that into um, savings for the consumer. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, none right. will go to the shareholders. No. Um, and uh, you know, so the the all the pilots and uh, cabin crew, etc., all the people that sell the tickets. I suppose you can sell on, save on people who are you know manning the check-in desks, that sort of thing. But a lot of it's done online anyway. The, the management levels will be able to merge and get rid of some managers, but a billion dollars worth? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, yeah, I, I wondered if that if they were maybe looking at uh, being able to streamline, uh, you know, the load aircraft loading that they could do. So you know, maybe they're operating, they're each operating at fifty or seventy percent capacity right now because of COVID, and they're thinking, well, maybe if we can merge and and 
fly one airplane at 100% capacity versus two airplanes at 50% capacity, maybe that would uh, affect their bottom line. But yeah. I, I don't really understand how. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of pie in the sky. Oh, that could be a new airline. Let's let's Ooh, pie in the sky. Make an airline called pie in the sky. And we only serve pie. <laughs> yeah, like, pie All right, uh, shut your pie that, hole. That's usually just nothing but blurb because <laughs> uh, the reality won't see that. But um, I heard that, Jeff. Uh, yeah, yeah, lack of competition. Do these two airlines really compete? Uh, I don't I, know. I, Are on they some operating routes, in the same areas? On some routes they do, but not a lot. I think that's an, another reason why they think that this is going to be a good match, uh, good yeah. marriage. Um, and uh, somebody had mentioned, I'm sorry, I forget who, that uh, this $1 billion in savings uh, supposedly uh, without job cuts. In fact, they're talking yep. about hiring more people. Uh, yep, Sam said that. They got a bunch of... Um, wow. Got a bunch of Airbuses on order. This has a great comment. Oh. <laughs> I reckon if an airline could work out how to do this properly, <laughs> they'd be worth they'd be worth investing in. But I don't know. One I billion boxes. Uh, one billion inches of leg space will be saved. <laughs> yes. oh, Good point. Absolutely. Anyway. Um, yeah. As far as the paint scheme, uh, who knows what kind of uh, what kind of. Uh, Interesting. I don't know. I would imagine that one of these, maybe Frontier, will be the dominant. You know, they'll they'll call it Frontier. I guess. Did they say anywhere in this article oh, what they, they were? They haven't said yet. They haven't said. They haven't yeah. Said. So, the Frontier Spirit, or the Fronted. Spirit of Frontier. No. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I don't spirit know. Of if, the Frontier. If Frontier named their airplanes Wilbur Whitetail, I'm a bit worried. <laughs> yeah, they like to put. Um, wild creatures on Animals. their on their tail just like alaska oh wait no that's a person that's on the alaska tail um and it's not abraham lincoln <laughs> he looks uh, like a wild creature that's for sure that, that alaskan oh and happy happy lincoln's birthday person. by the way um <laughs> uh, wait, as, is that uh, the car manufacturer um uh, no uh, that is uh, <laughs> okay. a, a president that we had at some point in our nation's history was, uh, Ah, the chap with the top hat. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, the Republican with the and top hat. And a beard, hat. Jeff. And a beard. Okay. Um, let's move on, shall we? Um, By all means. This uh, is an incident that occurred at the airport that um, that I fly to quite often. And, but you weren't uh, involved. I was not involved because it's not the type of airplane that I fly. But uh, we do have some vast aviation footage uh, of and and um, air, uh, what is it called? ATC Live um, audio of the incident. Let's have a listen. Okay, I need to put this on pause so I can read it. Uh, Delta Airlines Airbus A321 200, November 129, Delta November performing flight. 1277 from Dallas to Atlanta veered off runway nine, nine right to the right during landing roll and got disabled on the grass near taxiway Romeo, which is the uh, parallel taxiway to the right of the runway. Fire trucks were rolled immediately. Arrivals on nine right were delayed. Okay. So I'm going to resume the video here. Hey, you got a problem on uh, nine, right? What's going on on nine, right? Off the runway in the grass. Also, runway in the grass. Okay, stand by. Everybody, Oops. stand by. 
I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Don't ask me that. Okay, the aircraft landed, blew a tire, veered off the runway into the grass, striking several runway signs at the Atlanta International Airport. Um, yeah, there. Uh, somebody made a point. Uh, I haul boxes. His voice sounds painful. Yeah, did. or I don't. You know, what I got from it, uh, the Delta Flight twelve seventy seven on the radio there was that he was in almost like in shock and shaking, like shaken, mm-hmm. and trembling. you know how yeah, you know, kind of a trembling type of sounding voice. I would imagine that it was quite a wild ride and quite an unexpected um, event. And, uh, yeah, I could, I could imagine that could get your attention and uh, change the, uh, timber and, uh, quality of your radio transmissions. Timber. Timber. I, I thought it was, uh, cause he was bouncing up and down. Yeah, it did sound like that the... too. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that, that could be, maybe they were still like going over off-roading. the, uh, over the, uh, yeah, as Liz said, off-roading, uh, off-runwaying, um, and I, uh, the following day, I was taxiing back from runway 28 and uh, that whole area where the uh, uh, 321 went off the runway. Uh, they, were, they had the runway closed and there were a whole bunch of vehicles on the runway and lots of people looking around and taking pictures. And you could clearly see the, um, where the, the tracks of the gear uh, in, through the grass and the tracks dirt and tears. everything else uh, were. What, what did you say, Liz? The tracks of their tears. The tracks of their tears. No, tracks of their tires, actually. Uh, anyway, um, so, yeah, um, I would, now, I wasn't there, and I don't know what it would be like to, and I'm just assuming it was just one tire that failed. I don't know if both tires failed on the right main landing gear or not. I'm not sure I know those details yet, uh, but... If if one it was let's say even both tires um, failed on the right side, it would seem I don't know. Wouldn't it seem possible to keep the airplane on the 150 foot wide runway? Um, not sure exactly why they couldn't have kept it on the runway, but Laura's again, going with the cowboy theme here. Uh, Laura Davis says, "Yeehaw! Do they have four wheel drive on those? No, probably they don't. Um, I think possibly uh, the." Tire failure might have been caused by a brake malfunction, putting the brakes on uh, hard, mm-hmm. which might then have caused the tires to fail and yeah. also dragged them off the runway. But uh, uh, yeah, won't know for oh, sure. Yeah. That could be. Yeah, if you had a like full, full yep. braking on the right side, that would definitely do it. 
Yeah. Unless you immediately put full left braking on and left nose wheel steering account. Too. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was the, uh, the best they could do in that situation. I'd like, I, I can't wait to find out exactly what happened. Show title tracks of my gear. It could have been an ABS failure. So the guy's mm -hmm. applying brake pressure, the, the automatic braking system fails and you burst your tire. I think I know why though. It was an Airbus. That's why that. I uh, almost certainly, yeah. Those Airbuses there, always <laughs> falling off the runway. Never happens with a Boeing ever. No, ever. No, Especially in Africa, like, like it happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, enough of that one. Uh, is it time this now to great. go to the next video? Next video. Okay. Um, this this is an entertaining one. Um, here. Um, let me get that uh, queued up and hit play. Now, for those just listening to this show, uh, you'll need to look at this video to see the track that the uh, flight takes because it's uh, kind of uh, you know important for this news item to see exactly what this pilot did. But we'll do our best to describe it with words. Uh, but, uh, yeah, check out the video, which we're going to play right now. The 247 Phoenix Tower, wind calm, Mermi 25 left at Hotel 7, clear for takeoff. 25 left at Hotel 7, clear for takeoff. Did it 24 seconds. Station 1, Romeo Foxtrot, contact departure on 126.8 today. 268, Romeo Foxtrot. Okay, Jet at 247 is cleared for the Keens 2 departure. Departure route is shown on the screen. So it's out to the west. They're taking off to the west, and the departure, Arnav departure, is to the west. So he should be turning contact departure today. He should be turning left after takeoff. Right. I mean, correct. Right left. Right line at the mic. Flap white right, two five right, guys, 3277. We're being very helpful here. <laughs> JDA 247, Phoenix departure. What are you doing? JDA 247, Tower. JDA 247, go ahead. JDA 247, you're supposed to be on departure 126.8, and you're literally going the wrong way. <laughs> All right, 268, JDA 247. All right. <laughs> He's down. <laughs> well, I need to pause this. wind calm, we'll be 25 right clear for takeoff. Where's he going? Okay, so I, I'm, I paused this thing. So... As Nick said, uh, initial, the initial um, departure routing is basically literally straight ahead, right off the runway. And then at a certain point, it makes a jink to the left to the uh, southwest. I mean, that's what they were supposed to be doing. But he has taken off and turned to the right. And he's like heading north. And now at this point, I think he's like pointed to the east. Um, yeah, he's done a right hand 180. And he's right. Yeah, it looks like he's a heading the in opposite like, direction. Zero six zero, maybe or something. <laughs> yeah, and the departure, as we keep saying, is out west initially, and then southwest. And the, I thought it was funny that the controller said you're literally going the wrong way. Uh, and he goes, "All right, twenty six eight, good day." <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Did that not like make any well, impression? Unlike on the you? other guy's voice in the other video, this guy's unconcerned. Yeah, yeah. I was a little surprised the controller did not uh, try to fix. You know, 
yeah, didn't turn left immediately. Say yeah. like your heading is supposed to be, or you're supposed to be going this way. He just said you're flying the wrong direction. Yeah, you're literally flying the wrong way. Okay, so Jeff, you will not like this comment from Logan. Uh, problem is they're flying a Honda, a Honda jet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Uh-oh. that's the problem. A Honda? Oh, come on, Logan. Yeah, I don't care. Um, I I fly a well. I drive a Honda. You fly um, really low. Anyway, uh, let's continue. Do you drive this. it the wrong way? I uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Must have a lot of sympathy with these guys. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so it sounds like a very young voice uh, flying this very small um, private jet. Uh, jet it is the airline, and um, he's he's very laid back and yeah. doesn't seem to be really bothered at all that yeah. he is not doing really anything that he is supposed I'm to be concerned. doing. But he sounds cool on the radio, you know. Oh. All right. Uh, and I love the way he, instead of flight 247, it's 24-7. Get it? You know, 24-7. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> Let's continue. Let's take off from a 25 right, Sky 3277. Another airplane. And we're on the keen to Get a 247, Phoenix no, departure, <laughs> radar contact, expedite the right turn, clear direct Keens, maintain 8,000. All right, direct Keens, 8,000, did it, 247. All right. He doesn't seem to be expediting anything. He's taking his time. Yeah, and he is literally now flying over the top of the all the arrivals. They're doing parallel yeah. approaches from the east to uh, west, and he's over the top of that. And now there is some uh, an American flight on a downwind, a left downwind, um, in front of him at eight thousand. So that's why they had to tell him to stop at seven thousand. Uh, yeah, to keep I was, from. I was a little ahead. surprised they didn't turn him out to the left because like he said he was essentially on the he was essentially on a right downwind for the runway he took off from mm-hmm. when they uh when they corrected him and now they're flying him over the airport like he said over the arrival in the airport mm-hmm. and you can hear and then, in the in the air traffic control uh half of the communications you can hear stuff going on in the background where people are yelling and talking about traffic and everything else this is causing they probably just can't believe that this guy is doing this right and they didn't yeah, know what to tell him they're in the area where AG and RH always say, don't be there. Yeah, exactly. That's not okay. where you want to be. <laughs> this is not where you want to be. Okay, let's continue. Jetta 247, turn right, turn right, heading 290, 290 on the heading, please. 290 on the heading, Jetta 247. <laughs> November 1, that. Romeo Foxtrot, contact Albuquerque Center, 127.67. 7, 1, Romeo Foxtrot. They're such Steve, nice people. Go, 3277, passing 2,400, climbing the, uh, the level one. Skyway 3277, Phoenix departure, radar contact. Jetta 247, when able, clear direct, Keens, climb and maintain, flight level 210. All right, flight level 210, direct, Keens, Jetta 247. All right. 
And Jed, at uh, 247, I have uh, <laughs> some information for you to copy. Advise <laughs> when ready. Jed, Jed at 247. Jed, at uh, 247, possible pilot deviation. Advise you contact Phoenix Approach at 602-306. You suck. So 602-306. <laughs> you suck. Thank you, 602-306. Thank you. Thank you. Good yeah, day. Everyone's so polite. Get it, 247, contact Albuquerque Center, 126.45. Good day. 2645, get it, 2475. Have a good. Have a good. Thank you. Yeah. Can you imagine oh, this oh. happening at, at JFK? That have a screaming. Match. Oh, yeah. This would yeah have been a completely different exchange, of course. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, what the mm, are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, as uh, Logan uh, Lynch says in our live audience, I love how calm he is. Nothing happening here at all. I, yeah. I, do you almost get the impression that he doesn't have any idea Clueless. that he is doing all this stuff completely wrong? I guess he's going to and be how do you, No hint of an apology or an explanation no. from oh, yeah, him, sorry which most that. of us would be going, ah, oh, damn, sorry, I turned the wrong yeah. way. What do you want me to do now? It's just like yeah, trying to make him that, in. That surprised me as well that he didn't say, oh, you know, sorry about that. Oh yeah, my bad. You what know, even to if he help? totally screwed it up, I would have thought he would have gone on there and say, "Oh, sorry, you know, we programmed the mm -hmm. program the FMS wrong or something like that." Make an excuse. Let right. him let him know that there's a little bit of uh, regret about what happened there. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you could have said like, "Oh yeah, five uh, G. I think it's messing up everything." Oh, five G. It's got to be it. <laughs> oh man. Let's see. Sam says, uh, my only guess is a total misprogramming of the Garmin nav system. Yeah, but I mean, it's a map, right? You, you have a display of a map and you see your departure routing depicted on it. I don't know. I don't. It doesn't yeah, but make... if they plugged in the wrong departure. Oh, yeah. It could you know, be. If, that, if somebody's not yeah. paying it, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. I don't deal with that much, that level of automation, but I could see, you know, some of those. Like the Garmin system I just put on my airplane, I can type everything in on my iPad and beam it to the navigator. Yeah. And if you've got some guy, you know, if you've got a real green co-pilot and then a captain flying the airplane and the captain, you know, maybe expects the co-pilot to take care of that stuff, maybe he doesn't even cross-check that the right, you know, right departure or right routing got put in. And he's just, he's flying the right route on the computer. The computer's just wrong. <laughs> And, you know, I think that that uh, airplane is can be certified for one pilot operation. I'm wondering if it's just a single solo pilot in there. Yeah, could be. Mm. Yeah. Micah says yeah, he was uh, flying the Lizdexic. It was the Lizdexic departure. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Lizdexia is definitely something that is exactly. prominent in yeah. our aviation world. Yeah. As we said, I want to hear that phone call. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd love to hear that phone call for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, Jetit is a Canadian airline. No oh, wonder they're so the nice. That's the problem. Uh, that'd, that'd, yeah. We wouldn't even have covered it had we known that. Yeah. Sorry. It's a um, given they're going to screw up. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so I just thought, I, I saw that on Bass Aviation and I thought, oh my gosh, that's, uh, I can't believe that that happened. And I can't believe the, the tone and tenor of the of the pilot's voice was just so like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, no big deal. Huh? Yeah. Have a good day. All right. Probably the pitfalls of uh, electronic navigation. Uh, yeah, although that is. we used to do it in paper navigation as well. If you put the map upside down, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, man. And don't right. pay attention to all those letters, those upside down letters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it do, Jeff, it does look like it's single pilot certified. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. I don't know if I don't know if uh, I don't know if they operate one thirty five operation would yeah. allow that, but for at least for part ninety one flying, it looks like it's okay a thing that exists. Yeah. So uh, wow, two pilots Honda is a single pilot certificate can be pilot owner, but then the other pilot's corporate. So they they fly with two pilots uh, according to Sam Wiltz. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to the next item. Uh, this is from CNBC.com. Uh, Thiel Capital Mesa Air invest in electric sea glider startup Regent. And Regent is a, a developing a flying electric sea glider with a top speed of 180 miles per hour. Now, when you think of sea glider, I think what they are saying here is it's basically just an airplane that flies at a very low altitude. And didn't you have at least one, maybe more plane tales about uh, the kind of uh, airplanes that fly in that uh, ground effect or, or Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, water uh, effect. Plans, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did. We told it all. I did one all about the Caspian Sea monster yeah. and the Russian right. military um, ground effect uh, vehicles, uh, and of course, leading on to you know the ones that are still people are still toying with. It's it's a very attractive idea. You get a, an enormous increase in uh, um, or decrease in fuel consumption, increase in range for the same fuel if you uh, employ ground effect, which is basically flying so low that the pressure difference your wings uh, create. Um, make you kind of hover on a cushion of air a bit like a hovercraft without any skirt around it that's what she said um <laughs> and uh yeah you 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 literally uh you sit on the uh, own pressure wave that your aircraft is creating and it uh, scoots along and this combines it with a hydrofoil which is sounds quite clever um, the big problem with these, uh, of course, is if the sea isn't calm, uh, you <laughs> very hard to fly in a heavy sea. And of course, if you've got a maneuver, um, any bank uh, you put down, you're so close to the water to be in ground effect that any bank uh, is a you know very easy way to dip a wingtip in, and that's you gone. Because literally, you're you know 10, 20 feet in the air. That's all. Yeah, hmm. that's it. I could kind of understand it. I don't know. It seems like a better, uh, you know, it might work out better for like a touring thing where you're kind of moving around a little bit slower. But when you think about flying 10 feet off the ground at 180 miles an hour, like they're talking about here, the geometry just turns into any little burble or anything. And you're in the water in just a split second. Yeah. I mean, it's quite hard to push through ground effect into the water. For those of us who floated down a runway, ground effect (laughs) can attest to, uh, because every aircraft suffers. Well, it doesn't suffer. It's not really a problem, but every aircraft has a ground effect. And in the landing phase, uh, if you allow the airplane to sit in ground effect, you can scoot on down the runway for a very long way before you eventually fall out of the sky. I thought this was interesting uh, because Regent's electric sea gliders are technically categorized as wing in ground effect craft or WIGs. They're regulated by the U.S. Coast Guard rather than the Federal Aviation Administration. That may also help Mesa Airlines cope with a pilot shortage. 
there is a very significant pilot shortage today after government regulations put in place a few years back are coming home to roost. The 1,500-hour requirement has crippled the industry. Uh, laws in the U.S. require airline pilots to have 1,500 hours of flight time to work at a commercial airline, but there are exceptions for some students, military, and WIGs have a different set of requirements. Uh, yeah, what do they call Wing in ground effect craft. But it's so, neat looking. That's uh, it's a it's a pretty airplane uh, that we're showing the uh, artists uh, rendering on the uh, on the screen right Lots now. If you're watching the video, um, and and Teal an Capital, idea. that's uh, Peter Teal. He was I, oh, Teal. he was involved okay. in Facebook. I think he was one of PayPal. the first guys in Facebook, and then PayPal. PayPal? No, was, PayPal. I think he did yep. PayPal. Maybe he did pay, PayPal. Yep. Um, okay. Well, anyway, says he's yes. a, yeah. Yeah, he's a well-known venture capitalist that's been involved in success. Some successful ones, you know. Yeah. Hard to tell how hard to tell how often he's been involved in unsuccessful ones, but he has right. been involved in a couple of pretty successful ventures. This is interesting. Kind of an uh, yeah, it's not really an airplane. It's. Uh, well, it can, certainly can fly, even if it just scoots along the surface like a. Uh, uh, a boat, uh, mm -hmm. you can pull it away from the, the surface and um, ground effect aircraft vehicles, they, they can fly. In fact, one of the Russian ones could cruise along at 10,000 feet. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure how so you that, can have a, a boat that can fly that high and not be Yeah, that would be, that would be my rules. question too, is how they <laughs> set that threshold. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. good point. And heaven forbid you meet a big wave. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's going to have to require Probably. relatively calm seas, I would imagine. Yeah. And it also limits you really to routes over the water. So if there's a bit of land between you and the water, are you allowed to fly over it if you don't hold a pilot's license? I don't or do you know. have to go round all the bits of land that stick out into the ocean if you're going from A to B? Well, the article says that the Regent Sea Gliders should also be able to fly to islands, coastal hubs where airports are inadequate or non-existent, or when infrastructure has taken a hit due to a natural disaster. Because they can fly low under a fog line, unlike helicopters, the company is developing prototypes with an interior fit for emergency medical transportation with capacity to hold equipment patients on stretchers safely in place. Interesting idea. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what's a fog line, and how do you fly under fog? Because I, I thought fog was a cloud <laughs> that's on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I don't know what a fog line is either. Fog like is, uh, from memory, it's uh, visibility less than 100 meters, something like that. You have I'm to be to a submarine now. to fly under that. Uh, someone will correct me in the chat room. I can I'm think of what the definition of fog is. But if you're doing 180 miles an hour <laughs> in fog. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're going to need some kind of system to stop you bumping into things, aren't you? I would think. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with this. Uh, interesting. Maybe it'll be another great source of... Uh, Covering accidents and incidents. Oh, oh look, Luke, uh, completely changing the subject. Lucas yes. Diamond has come up with my favorite German phrase. Oh, and uh, my hovercraft like to... is full of eels. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mein Luftkissenfahrzeug ist voll von Al or Allen. Interesting. All right. 
Well, thank you for that contribution, uh, Lucas. Um, let's continue with this. Oh, it's an update on that uh, Airlink uh, Jetstream 41 at Venetia Mine on the 3rd of January. I believe uh, we covered this one when Nick C. and I were together in Wichita yep, a few did. weeks yep. back. Um, they were performing a charter flight from Johannesburg to Venetia Mine on approach to Venetia Mine when a bird impacted the right-hand propeller, causing one of the blades to separate and penetrate the cabin. Well, the update, bird, you say? Bird? Oh, a bird, yes. Oh, the, look, uh, we have a picture <laughs> of the bird, and it's a uh, uh, Corre Bustard. Bustard. <laughs> no, it's a Corey Bustard, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very large bird. In fact, I think it's like one of the largest birds um, out in there. Africa, yeah. Yeah, it's in Africa. Anyway, a uh, very large bird uh, can be like, what, 40 pounds? Yeah. Uh, that's pretty big. big anyway, um, so this is the big uh, update. Uh, the uh, South Africa Civil Aviation Authority released their preliminary report. Uh, they talked about the bird and the fact that... Uh, the propeller. They, and pardon? They talked about the bird and the propeller. The bird and the, and the propeller and... Uh, the blade fragment uh, penetrated the fuselage in the third passenger seat row. And uh, but this is the part that I think is just kind of key to the whole it's preliminary in -depth analysis here. The SACAA stated, quote, the accident was considered survivable, survivable as no person was seated at seat row number three during the accident. <laughs> The cabin, uh, excuse me. The, the cabin crew member reported that the passenger who was seated in row three for weight and balance purposes vacated the seat during flight to occupy one of the empty seats at the back of the aircraft. And they're probably very glad they did. Yeah, no Otherwise, this would not have been a survivable uh, accident. I, I just thought what it was kind of... How you classify a passenger as survivable? <laughs> exactly. Sorry, uh, an accident as survivable just because someone had moved out of their seat. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have the same sense to me. question. Hard-hitting hard analysis there. That's hard-hitting analysis, uh, Liz says. Yes, hard-hitting, for sure. It makes you wonder, all the people that fly single-seat airplanes and have to jump out of them, um, mm -hmm. is that considered survivable when the airplane hits the ground and is completely destroyed? Well, it was a survivable accident because uh, <laughs> yeah, the person survived. The airplane so. was not occupied yeah. at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Unbelievable. Okay. Well, uh, I can't wait to we'll look see for the more analysis on that one. Yeah, we do uh, look forward to more um, astute analysis on this particular accident. Let's move on to uh, the last in our news uh, segment. Qatar or Qatar Airways served a subpoena on Google to reveal the identities of employees who anonymously criticized the airline online. And this is from. Uh, crewroom.ca and uh, uh, Qatar Airways is said to have served a subpoena in an attempt to obtain information that might identify the identities of anonymous web accounts critical of the Doha-based airline. Uh, let's see, last June, Qatar uh, filed a lawsuit against two anonymous accounts on the Professional Pilots Rumor Network. Uh, we talk about that quite often here on our show, P. P. Prune, I think uh, most people call Prune, it the Professional yeah. Pilots Rumor Network, for posting exclusive information. According to the lawsuit, the two anonymous accounts exposed secret information about the airline, including its recruitment and rejoining activities. 
let's see, non-governmental organizations have long studied and criticized Qatar Airways' human resources and disciplinary procedures. Qatar's hiring and firing policies differ significantly from those in place in the majority of the airline's pilot workforce's home nations. The case, which was filed in a Los Angeles court, stated that Qatar thought that the anonymous posts were posted by current workers and that it was working to identify them. According to Qatar, the pilots, quote, owed a responsibility of care, skill, diligence, and commitment to Qatar Airways. Hmm. I'm sure they wanted to identify them so they could reward them. Oh, yes. Liz is making a good point. I'm sure that Qatar wanted to identify them so that they could reward them for yes. their honesty and, and yes, uh, transparency. And yeah, for being so forthright. <laughs> the uh, hiring and firing policies at the airline. Anyway, um, Interesting. That that's kind of uh, kind of scary, scary when you think about it. That uh, big companies were subpoenaing subpoenaing. I'm sorry. It's so cold in here. My hands are freezing and my mouth <laughs> is like I, it's Not 50. Working. It's dropping now to 58. Are you degrees sure your inside. furnace is working? Yeah, my oh, furnace no. does work, Liz, but well, I wanted to turn it off because I didn't want the noise. Oh. Uh, but you know you, what? You I'm... need to close that fridge door, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Well, it feels like a fridge in here, actually. Uh, so, uh, yeah. What do you guys think about this? Well, a pea prune has always been a sort of safe haven for people to say what they really think. Um, uh, I know Danny, who started the... Uh, website. I think he's he's no longer. He may no longer be running it. May have moved on to somewhere. But uh, you know, it, it people have in the past been able to uh, say very freely what they think about things because you're allowed to post anonymously. You are the only person who knew your real identity, what airline you work for, etc. Was uh, the guy that ran it. Uh, and uh, of course that was kept confidential and the fact that an airline can now get hold of that information or is trying to get hold of that information would be very damaging both to p prune and the individuals involved so not good um, from my point of view uh, because it takes away uh, one of the few pr- avenues for professional pilots to share um, uh, information amongst themselves that we would normally uh, you'd be able to talk about freely if we were in a pub, um, but you know you can't necessarily do online now. That that is a worry. That is, yeah. And I think one of the unintended consequences of of modern technology, at least that we're seeing over here in America, is um, you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of aspects of the technology that we use that we don't quite understand and how things are stored on the cloud and stuff. And there's been a number of cases with companies like Facebook and Google and Apple and Apple's Apple Cloud over here where uh, the government um, the government has either tried to obtain that information for ongoing investigations or uh, civil investigations like this that they have used. And a lot of times there are, you know, the user of the technology doesn't even know that these type of like backups and information is still uh, obtainable. And so, uh, you know, some of those companies, Apple's really well known for trying to protect that information um, for its customers, but it still a little, uh, you know, it's just not well enough known by so many of the users that that the government can basically get all that information about who's things like this, who are who's writing posts on the internet, 
you know, stuff that you delete from your email, you delete an email, but it still exists on a server at Google or something. And, and, uh, the government mm-hmm. can go get it. So it's a new, uh, it's a new era of privacy issues. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the, a government getting hold of it is one thing, uh, but your employer, you right. know, happens to be an airline getting hold that, of it is something completely different. Absolutely. I agree. And, uh, you know, living in the, uh, world capital of frivolous lawsuits <laughs> over here <laughs> in the U S <laughs> it is really concerning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. What'd you say, Liz? Cowboys and cowboys suing each other on frivolous lawsuits. Cowboys suing each other with frivolous lawsuits. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's the U.S. I, I'm uh, I, I'm sorry, we can't have that as a show title. <laughs> no, it's too long of a title for sure. Um, <laughs> sure. But uh, I, I could do cowboys I, in I a think courtroom. I Hall has a good point here. I Hall boxes. How about Cutter just abandons the practices they don't want advertised? The world becomes a lot. Simpler That's for a you. Good idea. Wow. What kind of wow. a crazy world are I you living know. in? That's a little bit yeah. too. Come on. Too logical. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, you know, basically, uh, I, I've always considered that anything I put out there, whether I think it's private or not, it's possible that everybody can see it. So, you know, all those communications that you have with people, you know, talking about other people, just be careful because there's a chance that. Somehow, someone will discover it at some point in the future. Yep. Yeah. That's true. And, and by I, the way, if you do all uh, mm-hmm. discover some of the terrible things I've said about you, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, <apologize. laughs> I was probably having, I probably had too much to drink or something. Preemptive you know? apology. Yeah. That's a preemptive I can't imagine that. apology. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Anything okay. else to say no. before we move let's on? Let's get to know us. All right. Let's get to know us. And you can sing up a storm. Oh, that's right. Steph's not here. About us Getting to like us Getting to hope you like us too She loves that. Yeah, she does. All right. Getting to know us. It's that segment of the show where we kind of get all caught up. And I can't. I'm just dying to hear what Nick has to say about his recent... Oh, I, that was a poor choice of words. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so you, uh, you were not with us for a couple of weeks, uh, Captain oh, Nick. Oh, I'm frequently and, not with you, even when I'm with you. Well, that's true. But you weren't on the show, shall we say, uh, for, with us. Uh, and we really missed you. Um, a lot of the listeners uh, wrote in to tell us that... Uh, they really were, you know, thinking and praying for you and, and uh, hope that you got well soon and were back on the show soon because they couldn't stand it without you. So uh, what <laughs> right. what the heck? Uh, now, many people that follow the show closely know, um, you know, from what we uh, had talked about in your absence and such that uh, you had a little, uh, little health uh, incident uh, Last yeah, couple weeks ago. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's something that uh, I've been sort of wary of since uh, about uh, probably about nine months after I joined Virgin Atlantic as a young first officer uh, when I went down with a case of atrial fibrillation. So that's the top half of the heart is the atrium and the chambers there that uh, sort of prime the main heart. Uh, areas, the ventricles, uh, which do the pumping. 
So uh, it's just like a, uh, a small pump feeding into a big pump. Anyway, the top half of the heart controls your heart rhythm, apparently. Uh, and um, when they go into fibrillation, uh, they're sort of wobbling around like a piece of jelly. They're no longer coordinated. And the um, pumping that they, the pumping signal they send down to the ventricles uh, becomes confused. Uh, so um, previously, I had it for a couple of days. I was in hospital and uh, I came out of in, back into northern rhythm, normal rhythm. Six months and lots of tests later, uh, they think they know the reason for it was drinking a large, very cold drink. Uh, the esophagus, your cold drink goes down, lies right behind the heart where the vagus nerve is, and uh, that can trigger uh, AF. Is that a cold anyway, alcoholic uh, six drink? Six months later, I was back in the cockpit, and five years later, uh, after you know lots of annual hoops to jump through i actually got a full medical back again so that was great um and i don't really think too much about it but the old uh, heart specialist at the caa very nice chap called uh, air vice marshal cook uh, he had an e cook with an e so everyone called him cookie um he said there are a few things you need to watch out for no one you're you're prone to this because you've had one you're more prone to have another one um you know cold drinks um Lots of exercise uh, after a long flight. Um, if you get a bad viral infection, he listed a, a number of things to be careful of. Uh, drinking, binging on alcohol will cause it, for example. Uh -oh. So I'm not amazed I haven't had dozens. But <laughs> anyway, I don't, so, I so you're not going to drink beer anymore. That's what we're well, hearing. Well, actually, I haven't drunk since the event. But, oh, really? Uh, Wow. Yeah, uh, that's not that's only me going. Oh, I probably need to give my liver a rest. A lot of the things that I've been taking drugs and the like mm. um, rely on efficient liver and kidney action. So uh, I thought, well, best not to give my liver too much of a pounding at the moment. But mm. uh, I'm certainly not laying off completely. You'll be um, drinking when you so, get there. Uh, I I had made myself a lovely spicy fishy lots of anchovies pizza scoffed that and went to bed and had um a lot of heartburn uh and was waking up coughing very hard and actually coughing against a closed uh, epiglottis apparently is uh, a way to bring yourself out of af if you get into it it sometimes mm. works apparently um uh, paramedics sometimes try that trick anyway i i woke up in the middle of the night uh like one o'clock a.m. and I uh, thought, oh, I don't feel very well. So I immediately put on my gift from uh, Captain Jeff there, my Apple Watch. Now I'm not a great advertiser, but in this case, I'm going to say, if you think you might have ever get AF, buy an Apple Watch. They're very clever. So I put it on and I uh, did a heart check, and this is what I saw. And this is the trace Whoa. I got, and it said heart rate. Oh, that's, that's not even the bad one. That's the one. Oh, no, oh and I was right. That was the first one. Yeah, heart rate over 150. <laughs> yeah, 222 beats a minute. Uh, I was going, it was going so fast that I couldn't actually feel my pulse anymore. You know, you put your, your fingers. Uh, and the watch said, well, I can't actually check for atrial fibrillation because your heart's going so fast. So I tested it a couple of times and thought, well, that's not brilliant. So I 
dial 999 and uh, spoke to the wonderful people in our National Health Service. They said, right, well, we'll send an ambulance. Uh, then I go in and wake up the wife. Uh, so I, oh, no, I was still alive. I was walking around feeling fine-ish. Um, Ish. Just, Ish. Yeah, just, <laughs> just felt like pretty weird. Uh, anyway. Um, you are weird. The, yeah, I am. Exactly right. The <laughs> lovely ambulance people came and um, tied me to an ECG and said, yeah, you know, you're not, this, your heart's doing something really weird. So uh, where, you know, we'll, we'll take you to the hospital. Uh, I, I did occasionally check my uh, watch on the way down to hospital. Uh, they arrived to me in seven minutes, which is not bad for a rural indication. And now my heartbeat was down to 148, and it said you're in atrial fibrillation. So that is kind of what I guessed, which was there. Anyway, arrived at Heart Hospital, and they uh, started giving me clever drugs to slow the heart rate down. And it took about a week, got down to a normal heart rate. And um, I was still in AF, uh, which, you know, you, ca you can be. And um, I just had to wait. They put me on some drugs to sort the heart rhythm out. And they're saying, well, it doesn't, these don't seem to be working. So uh, if we have to, we'll get you in and do a cardio version, which is, you know, stop your heart. Uh, and then they look at your bank balance and if you can afford it, they restart your heart. <laughs> ah, uh, I see. If, Very clever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, they didn't have to because uh, after about a week, the heart flipped back into normal rhythm. Oh, that's good. It. Yeah, so all that tick VG. So I sat there wired up, feeling pretty bored there for about a week. And um, I, I, t I arrived with so few clothes that I was in that uh, dressing gown for a very long time. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah. push goes uh, to shove. I'm, mm. I'm back home. Thank you. Feeling fine. In normal rhythm. Uh, still on a bunch of drugs, which they will wean me off as time goes by. And still with a few extra uh, tests to be done. They didn't want to keep me in hospital any longer than necessary because they gave me COVID, <laughs> which oh, nice. I had to be. Yeah, that was very kind of them. I had to be <laughs> given givers. a private room you know, or an isolation room. Um, so that uh, I wouldn't give it to anyone else. And that, that causes all sorts of hassle because everything, every time you go into a big piece of test equipment like a CT scan, they, they've got to do a deep clean afterwards. So they said, look, go home and recover and we'll have you back in uh, as an outpatient for these tests. So I'm still waiting for those. So, that, so you went through the hassle of getting COVID just so you could have a private room? Is that what yeah, I'm absolutely. getting from this? Took some doing. I had to lick okay. a lot of floors <laughs> to catch <Ooh>. COVID. <laughs> Are you finished with that but, bedpan? I'll have some of it. Anyway, um, it's been really uh, touching to get so much, um, so many good uh, messages, messages uh, of, uh, you know, People hoping that I recover. People occasionally people saying, "Die, you old man." Um, but <laughs> I don't like filter that on those lists. Oh, didn't, didn't we get <laughs> your message, <laughs> Jeff? Uh, oh, I, gotta, I said that was, I gotta, those were from me. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, all right, misaddressed. I got a lovely no, no, no. Um, from me to you. <laughs> oh, they were from you. Yes, oh, that explains yeah. a lot now. Now I understand. <laughs> I got a lovely hamper from the APG crew, which uh, was uh, great. Uh, absolutely lovely. 
enjoyed the contents thereof um, uh, and, and lots of gifts. So I, I'm mentioning the, the one here from Rob Simmons uh, because uh, who sent me a, some beers and uh, also a jigsaw, which you can see I've Whoa. started. Uh, yeah, you're coming uh, coming along quite nicely with that one. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I, I'm doing really well. I found that yeah. bit. It says RAF on it, but uh, okay. so it, it's going to be weird because like uh, the picture's upside down. I don't understand. Huh. Anyway, thanks. That's thanks weird. very much for the uh, <laughs> for the thousand piece jigsaw, Rob. Appreciate that. So that's been kind of me, uh, and uh, there's no need for any worries, AF. Uh, isn't something that will kill you. And the worst you'll get is a blood clot. And if they get you on blood thinners, and like I am now, you're going to be fine. Um, and then they'll have time to sort you out. It's not like having a heart attack where you, you know, you might be gone. Be gone. Um, that's So that's me. Uh, and I'll be here to darken your doors for many years to come, I am sure. Yay. Um, the only other Excellent. thing I'm going to... Thank, thank you. Any other thing I'm going to mention is a particular thanks. Oh, well, I won't name everyone individually who's written to me, but you know who you are, and I just wanted to say how much I appreciate it. Um, today's Plain Tale. Uh, it, an interesting one, actually, uh, and it was suggested by a fine gentleman called uh, Jim Patterson, uh, who was uh, on Slack. Now, I've written to Jim uh, to say uh, thank you. But uh, he doesn't seem to be on Slack very much. So uh, both Liz and I have tried to contact him and thank him. But I thought I'd mention it on the show because uh, it's it's a, an aspect of aviation I hadn't thought about doing until you suggested it, Jim. So uh, thanks very much. And uh, I'm intrigued. Jim probably comes from the west coast of Canada or uh, North America, somewhere there. Uh, his icon is a TARDIS, you know, a... Uh, Doctor, Who, Doctor Who blue police box. Yes. So I'm intrigued to know. Uh, are you a fan of Doctor Who or do you just like police boxes? I'm curious. Mm. Anyway, okay. that, that's it from me. I'm sure you've had enough. No, no. We're, we're so happy that you're you're healthy <laughs> again and you're back with yeah. us. And I look forward to seeing you in what? Um, two weeks. Two weeks. Two, uh, less than two weeks. Less than two weeks. Uh, yeah. Twelve days. Something like that. Yeah. Friday morning, yeah. Uh, uh, two weeks from yesterday, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Uh, the Plain Talking UK uh, is uh, Plain Tales, uh, Plain, uh, Plain Talking UK are having their uh, 400th uh, celebration, uh, episode celebration in uh, the London area. And uh, I'm going to be flying in and, and Nick, um, you know, is going, uh, if he's still with us. Uh, is going to pick me up <laughs> at the oh, uh, got my wings. Yeah, but, but don't. Uh, yeah, don't start. Julie will be there. Yeah. Julie will be there and get okay. you. Yeah, that's true. Um, but anyway, she'll uh, be driving around in my car. I will be staying at Casa Anderson uh, for Friday night, I guess, and then we'll head down to uh, the uh, Brooklyn's um, Museum area uh, and hotel on Saturday. And uh, yeah, we're lo really looking forward to that. Or I am. Looking forward to that, at least. Oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah, Great to see you. Great to see you as well, I'm sure. Um, let's see here. Let me look at my notes to see what I was supposed to talk about in this segment. Oh, well, I think uh, Nick C. alluded to it uh, last 
week, I was on a trip and I was in Wichita, uh, Kansas, and I got uh, got to meet up with uh, Nick Camacho, and uh, he picked me up as well as uh, my first officer Brent, and took us to uh, Delano Barbecue uh, as he has done in the past, and we had a great barbecue meal at uh, at Delano Barbecue in uh, Wichita. So thank you, Nick, for for picking me up and and uh, joining us. That was a lot of fun. And um, let's see. Oh, I talked about, I think on the last episode, uh, Dan White, um, a fellow Acme. Uh, he's a 220 captain, and he sent me some stuff. I think Cockpit Creations is his company uh, in North Texas, Dallas, Texas area. And I said I would show you some of these stickers that uh, he uh, he sent me. So let's see if I can uh, Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to rub the microphone, but anyway, they're kind of, uh, those are awesome <laughs> stylized, um, uh, stickers. And I think, let's see, he's got one in here of one of my favorite airplanes. This one here. I think you'll recognize this. It's a little stubby version ah, of three holer, uh, a three holer, a seven twenty seven. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Oh, look at this. A bit like, um, seven forty seven SPs. Yeah, they, Short they're and gumpy. They're, yeah, they're a little cartoonish. Uh, uh, that's my uh, C one forty one Starlifter. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. let's see what else do we? Oh, here that was the uh, the gray version. This is the uh, kind of the original paint job they had on the uh, oh, Starlister. Starlifter, not Lister. Starlister. Uh, I prefer yeah. the Lister. Yes. <laughs> Which this side is, did it list? This is kind of one. Uh, this is kind of a picture of me uh, flying by with my arm hanging out the window. <laughs> It's kind of nice. With your anyway. knuckles scraping along the ground. <laughs> exactly. Oh, look, and this, of course, is appropriate for these COVID times. Uh, we have a one that's wearing a mask. Oh, very it's hard to hard to tell, but here, let me see if I can get that a little bit closer. Oh, yeah. There cool. we go. There's the mask. Now, anyway. Is that a 717 or a mad dog? I don't know. It's just kind of a generic detail. Use your imagination. Plane, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dan. These are awesome. And uh, so, hey, if you want to uh, check out all of his cockpit creations, there's the uh, business card right there. And uh, I'll Ooh, try like to remember the Acme to logo a bit. that uh, link in the show notes. Oh, here, let me turn this around. This is another, this is the backside okay. of, the, uh, of ah, the card. Three selections back so, there. Yes. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah, how about so that? Jeff, it kind of uh, looks a mention- lot like the airplane you fly, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. Nick? All right. Yeah. Mention What'd your you- physical, Jeff. My physical. Well, I'll, I'll mention that in a moment. Um, okay. Let's see. The other thing. Oh, and then I received, I think I know who sent this to me because somebody that we all know and love and someone whom uh, with whom I spent, I don't know, just almost two weeks, maybe just under two weeks with a couple of years ago uh, driving out to the West Coast in a Prius. Uh, he asked me for my address, and so I'm thinking it was Stephen Ivy that sent these, but I could be wrong. Somebody sent these stickers. Chemtrail team. Well, chemtrail team. I, they probably sent them, sent them anonymously because this whole chemtrail operation that we're involved in. Uh, pilots in ATC United, Disperse and Control. 
chemtrail team. You know, this whole thing is, you know, on the down low. So we really shouldn't be talking about it at all while we're doing the show. In fact, if I'm not here next week, it's probably because the certain people probably found me and and just did away with me. You've been whisked away. (laughs) We'll just put a couple of those chemtrail badges on your eyes and Ah. wrap you in a shroud. Yes. Anyway. Uh, and if it wasn't Steve and Ivy, then whoever sent those to me, thank you. And by the way, my uh, address uh, situation right now, if uh, anybody wants to send something, please contact me first because I don't even know what a good address addresses. is anymore To because uh, this cabin really doesn't have, you can't send anything to the cabin because there is no ba- mailbox at the cabin. So I have a P.O. box up here in the mountains and uh my Roswell P.O. box now is, is history. Um, if it's anything really valuable, yeah. they can send it to me. Oh, uh, Liz is making a good point. If it's anything valuable, she said uh, she'll give you her address. And they can send good it to idea. her. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, so. And if it's anything drinkable, I'll give you my address. Then, <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. We've got it all worked out, haven't we? Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah, I had my twice yearly um, FAA physical, uh, class one, uh, the one with the EKG or ECG, if you prefer, uh, yesterday. And so I'm good for another six months um, until August when I'll have to do another physical. But uh, yeah, I'm good for at least another six months. And my heart was ticking uh, the way that it's supposed to. The only anomaly, I guess, was something about a a left tilt, tilted ventricle, something or other. I don't know. He said that that's not an, an, an uncommon um, thing to see uh, uh, with a gentleman uh, of my age and uh, uh, size and that kind of thing. So, If you're it's, not yeah, a I, gentleman, do you still get it? Um, I don't. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm not a gentleman. I don't know. <laughs> but um, if you're a bounder. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so that went well, and uh, that's what I did for most of the day. Yesterday, I spent a lot of wonderful time in traffic, in Atlanta traffic, going from the cabin up here down there and then getting the physical and then driving back. Uh, it was horrible, absolutely horrible traffic yesterday. Anywho, that's, uh, that's it for me. Nick Camacho, what's been up with you, man? Uh, yeah, been uh, working, been working both my day job and on my airplane and uh, spent a couple hours last night with my dad going over everything we have in the airplane, uh, everything we've touched. I put the headliner in on Wednesday, which I uh, I had made a new headliner for the airplane. That was the last piece of the airplane to go back on. So uh, dad and I spent uh, about three hours last night going over everything we had touched, verifying all the fasteners were tight, verifying everything was back on there. And uh, I think we're ready to fly. So I've got a stack of paperwork for him to sign uh, when I go out there this afternoon. And uh, I've got a, uh, I got to do, I got to verify the fuel calibration because I had some of the fuel system components off the airplane. So uh, do a couple of things uh, in front of the hangar running the engine and then go run it down the runway, uh, up to near takeoff speed, but not take off and and verify all that stuff. And if all that looks good, 
might be able to fly it this weekend. Oh, nice. Yep. The only downside is the weather The weather has turned again, so we're back into our, our winter weather. Um, so if it does take any work to um, modify the fuel calibration, I might, uh, I might have to put it off until uh, the weather gets warmer because I don't want to be working out in front of the hangar. It's, uh, I think the highs today are in the high 30s, so hmm. don't particularly want to spend a, a bunch of time out there. But uh, no. that's, that's pretty exciting. That's been a, a project that's been underway for many months, uh, a couple of years. <laughs> and uh, it'll be nice to, it'll be nice to have uh, the use of, use of that airplane again. Remind us again, um, Nick, uh, the, air, the type of airplane that we're talking about. Oh, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a Beach Debonair, 1960 Beach Debonair, which is an early model straight tail Bonanza. Um, you know, they, the Bonanza line started with V-tails and they made V-tails for 13 years. And this is, I actually have the first year of the straight tail Bonanza, which uh, they called a debonair for a while before they, they renamed them all Bonanzas. But uh-huh. yeah, four cool. seat retractable gear airplane. So uh, very nice. Do you use a sort of V1 for those high speed uh, runway runs. Well, uh, I haul. Uh, it's a single engine airplane, so we don't really have V1, V2. We have a rotate speed. Um, so I'll probably run it up to, you know, maybe 90% of the the rotate speed. And then I've, we've got a pretty long runway at my airport, so it, it shouldn't be a big deal. And, you know, the, the reason for that is because you can't really make, you can't really get full power. You can't really simulate the full power settings of the engine at static RPM uh, speeds. So you got to get airflow running through the propeller to actually see that all of those pressure settings and everything are correct. So that's, that's why we can't just do everything in front of the, the hangar. So, um, probably don't need to get all the way up to uh, rotate speed, which in my airplane is the low sixties, low to mid sixties. Um, but you know, maybe run it down the runway at 50 ish knots. Cool. And then uh, for my day job, I'm getting ready to do some traveling. Uh, I, I leave on Monday and I go out to the home office for my company, which is out in California. And uh, I'll spend a week out there getting some stuff ready for a flight test and then uh, head down to uh, Phoenix, Rook's neck of the woods for a few days and uh, spend some time down there doing some work. And then uh, at the end of it, uh, two weekends from now, I guess we have a family wedding in Houston. So I'll go from Phoenix to Houston and, uh, meet up with the rest of my family, uh, when our, when my work stuff is done and, uh, finally be home the following Sunday. So big round trip, lots of flying on small airlines for me coming up. Very good. Um, so I think Liz, Remind me, do I have another Wichita layover later this month? Uh, just a minute here. Okay, she's going to check for me. Oh, I'm looking. Um, I'm thinking, wow, the things you do, Nick Camacho, to uh, to avoid to avoid up you, with yeah. yeah, catching the COVID. And <laughs> no, you got you got to lay it. No, I, I know. It'll be uh, it'll be Steph getting out of town because you oh, got lay over in Charlotte. You can have a meetup, Jeff, in Wichita with the line man. Um, yes, with the Wichita lineman. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. Whatever that means. Um, 
Yeah, I know. Glenn Campbell, a Wichita lineman uh, song. Yeah. Um, the only thing I know about Wichita. Well, uh, <laughs> turns out that uh, I'm not going to be in Wichita. So this whole thing was for not Nick. You didn't have Cancel to come up with flights. this elaborate oh, travel <laughs> plan at all to avoid me. Uh, but uh, apparently uh, Liz is, is telling me that uh, Steph uh, needs to be alerted that I'm going to be in Charlotte. Um, yeah. yeah, soon, and that she, she needs to come skiing. up with some kind of an excuse. She's going to have to rustle up another conference real quick. Then. Yeah, yeah, another conference. Exactly. It's going to be tight. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway, speaking speaking of Steph, uh, she is. Um, I'm not sure if we mentioned it while we were recording the show or before. Everybody we do recording. the quotation marks. Uh, but yes, everybody get ready for the air quotes. Uh, she is She's on uh, a conference. Conference. Uh, yeah, somewhere conference. out west, and uh, I guess there's some snow and mountains uh, involved yeah. with the conference. Things are going and downhill for her. Yeah, things are really going downhill fast, uh, <laughs> or she is at least. Uh, so anyway, we miss her and look forward to having her back on whenever she returns. And also Miami Rick is is doing his job as a freight uh, captain, freight pilot out there flying today, so he couldn't join us. And uh, so hopefully we'll have both of them on with us uh, next time around. Cover we'll art, cover art. All right, the cover art from Welcome last back, Nick. week's episode. And thank you, Nick, for, for doing that uh, cover art. Uh, even though stuff. you weren't on that show, uh, we do appreciate the art, which, of course, the uh, title of the show was COVID Cowboys. And uh, there are a bunch of um, hazmat suited up pilots with cowboy hats. And uh, wow, look at all those COVID uh, things, uh, molecules, or or what are these things called again? Viruses. Uh, viruses. viruses. Yeah, behind this uh, very large uh, COVID cowboy um, Acme seven forty seven. Looks yeah. like very very. And nice. the background is actually Hong Kong. Not that you can really tell. It's the Hong Kong Harbor from Kowloon's oh, side. Okay. And uh, over the back of the second guy from the left, you can just see the pointy bit of uh, one of those uh, skyscrapers. Uh, that pointy bit yeah. uh, is a kind of a clock. It lights with different colors in different segments to indicate oh. the time. You need to understand the sequence to work out what time it is, but <laughs> hmm. very prominent and uh, good landmark. Now, I didn't really search for the uh, title, uh, the episode number um, on this. Where did you where did you hide it? Oh, uh, it's underneath the um, badges on those suits. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, on the... And now somebody had asked me if those faces were our faces or were these just generic? oh absolutely yeah absolutely our faces oh yeah. I, I guess I... <laughs> are they uh, no, no they're not oh, okay i didn't think so no. <laughs> thinking, you'd have had a hard job working it out even if i had gone to the trouble but yeah um, anyway a, a very very uh nice artwork thank you for laura just uh laura just told us where rick really is here oh okay laura laura has figured out that uh, rick is actually in training for the extreme ironing championships yeah i think so yeah 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 he's doing very well yes coffee fun uh, made it to the finals okay it is now time for us to talk about the way that you can support us financially if you'd like to and uh, let's uh, get the coffee fun Java Jive thing going here. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. 
Yes, please. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. I missed your singing, Liz. You didn't oh, sing sorry. along with yeah, me. Oh, sorry. Yeah, fi- I was finding the overlays. So. Oh, that's okay. Uh, all right. So we're going to talk about the Coffee Fund, a couple different ways that you can participate. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last show, we have Alistair... K- no, shoot. I think that was the wrong one. That was from last week. I kind of screwed that up. Should be in the slides. Is that the slides you're in? Oh, sorry. No, I'm in the overlay. Sorry. Okay. Yep, okay. Coming. All right. Oh, there we are. I got it. All right. Now we're now she's okay. with us. Uh, the Coffee Fun Classic uh, since the last show. George Hollis and Mazuz Karim. So thank you both of you for participating and contributing to the show. And we also, hey, finally, after a little yeah, bit of, uh, of uh, a lag, uh, we have some new patrons. Uh, they would be producer Tom Rakowskus. Rakowskus. I'm not sure. Sorry, Tom. Rakowskus. Yeah. Rakowskus. Uh, and uh, two new executive producers, John Abrams and Elliot Cox. John's and in the chat. Ding, 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 John's ding, ding. ding David, David Lieb. Uh, he's a new assistant senior executive producer. And he's in That's the chat too. Very, very high tier. Thank you. Uh, and he's to, with us right now. Yeah, yes. David and John. David, David and, John. and John are with us. So thank you guys for becoming patrons via Patreon. We do appreciate it. And if you all want to join this wonderful group of people, please head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee for more information on it. And uh, you'll be glad you did, and we will too. Captain, incoming message. All right. Our first piece of feedback for today's show. This was sent in by Sean. Airline flight planning, 1960s style. And he just gave us a link um, to a vintage American Airlines film, Flight Planning Processes, 1961 through 1963, LAX and JFK International Airport. And he said, here's how flight planning worked at the airlines in the 60s. It looks just slightly different today. Missing, dealing with manual publication updates. Okay, so let's uh, take a quick look. We're not going to show the entire video, of course, uh, but we'll play a little bit of it. And I just love these old vintage films. Me too, uh, because I'm vintage. This is from some historical film was made between 61 and 63 international documentary shows how American Airlines pilots and support personnel planned a passenger flight from Idlewild. This was before it became JFK. And a nice picture of a I love the way they built the control tower on a block of flats. <laughs> All right, here's a, your, your typical Joe pilot coming, getting out of his car. Fedora. That wacky aerial he had on the top of his car. Going I don't know. Place. Nope. Planning to fly. Yeah. Nope. I love his hat. American Great hat. No noise abatement there. Yeah. No noise abatement. Were, this picture will time. show you Americans planning. Okay.
American flight gets the same planning by the kind of men and women you're about to see. There are no actors in this picture. Everyone is an American Airlines employee working at his regular job. Flight 3, 707 Astrojet, non-stop to Los Angeles. <laughs> An announcer with a little whistle. All that black oh, I smoke. Love this bit. Oh, the long, look at all the long seats. Flight three. Hundred's good. This hundred. <laughs> this is the takeoff. <laughs> I, I love Don't the way you he... guys mess with me. <laughs> You're blowing me out, Nick. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's let's stop. This guy's like, and you should see his hand going. Like he's doing these gestures with his hand. Is like, whoa! Watch out for this guy. Let's uh, yeah. let's back it up a little bit and uh, start with this takeoff roll and listen. Now, Nick. Yeah. Sorry, don't, don't add excited. to it. Okay, wait. Let's let's hear this guy. Okay, here we go. Eighty knots. Eighty knots. This is flight three. Hundreds good. This is the payoff. A1. This is the takeoff. Rotate. By the ring, gear up. <laughs> 20 flaps. This guy's really fun to fly with, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, CRM at its I best. Shut up. shut up. No one talks in here but me. <laughs> Anyway, you need to check out this video. All the long sleeves. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I love it. Good old days. This was even before my time, by the way. Should you wonder? I think I was only sixty-one. I was like two, three, four years old, something like that. Oh, shut up! Cockpit horror picture show. <laughs> thank you, Craig. Yeah. Um, anyway, so thank you. Who sent this to me? I have to look Sean. back at John McHale, I think. Sean, thank you for sending that in. We do appreciate that. Here, let me uh, remove this. I, I watched quite a long way through it because, like you, Jeff, I thought it mm -hmm. was a fantastic bit of history. Uh, and all the guys on the telephone, uh, you know, a little while further on, all these dispatches, they all sound like NASA people. <laughs> they mm -hmm. still Jeff. sound like they're about to launch the next space rocket into outer look, space. Look who just it's got brilliant. in the chat room, in just in perfect timing. Oh, look at that. We have, look at this person in our chat room, our live audience that we have not seen for quite some time. And he is our our uh, air traffic controller, no longer trainee. I think he's all checked out, right, Muhammad? Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Let's, well, let's, read, his, let's, let's read his feedback. It's right here. You know right what? Here. We should do. We should, we should uh, and wow, talking about a coinkadink. Um, we have received some feedback. Did you want to say anything else about the uh, the old airline vintage 60s style? Yeah, watch it. It's great fun. Yeah, watch it for sure. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show. I just love uh, the, the, round, the round thing the guy is twiddling with in the middle of the movie. It's uh, part of a telephone, by the way. Just oh, yeah. To dial. yeah. That's why yeah. they call it dialing. You know, kids yeah, these yeah, days, yeah. they're going, you know, you ask them, well, why do, why do you say dialing a number? Um, I don't know. <laughs> well, you'll know why if you watch this uh, watch this video. Anyway, uh, let's move to Mohammed. He said, uh, 
It's an update on this progress. Dear APG, long time not to be in touch with you. I do apologize. I've been through a lot of personal life issues that changed my priorities. This is uh, life. This life, nothing's in this life. There's nothing stable, but I'm okay. Nothing to be concerned. Well, we hope you're okay, Muhammad. Um, all prayers, love, and support to Captain Nick. Get well soon, Captain. Well, look uh, at that. Many thanks, Muhammad. And I have. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yes. And uh, first of all, I have to say thanks to Liz that connected me to Samantha. I took English lessons with her based on what uh, and based on when I made English language tests to update my certification. I got the highest score between my colleagues based on that. They told me you need six years to test again. That's great. I think that's probably the best you can do on those English yep. tests. Congratulations. Right? Yeah. Good job. And uh, thank you, Liz, for uh, getting Muhammad no in touch with uh, with Samantha. Uh, he said, also, I made a childhood dream come true. I visited part of Europe, Germany and Finland, and it was a great experience. Uh, when I feel bad, I just remembered the good times I spent there. Unfortunately, getting visas to Western countries is not easy. I think you already know why, but I made it. It was a great achievement in my personal life. Unfortunately, we, we lost another colleague controller by a car accident. She's a lady, and the tragic thing is she left two cute kids. Her husband, which he is also a controller with us, hit, uh, Muhammad's trainer. Uh, so now, uh, till now, he can't believe that. Uh, may God have mercy on her soul. We already lost six controllers in different times due to COVID-19 or other reasons. Wow. Wow. Seems like a very high attrition. Yeah. It's not good. My gosh. Unfortunately, we experienced a rocket attack at the airport, but thank God no injuries or fatalities, but two aircraft damaged. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's my briefly my feedback that I'd like to share with you. Uh, thanks, APG. Love you all. Muhammad, the Iraqi air traffic controller. Wow. Thank you, Muhammad, for updating us. I know it had been a while since we had heard from you, and we're happy to hear that you're safe and sound. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of life um, incidents uh, or life issues that you're dealing with. We hope that it's not uh, too great of a, a load on you, and uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you and hope that uh, you make it through everything well. Absolutely. Yeah. Good luck. And uh, welcome to our chat room. You're you're among family here, Muhammad, and we love you. Okay. Uh, continuing on. Oh, we have another video. This was sent in by Steve Horn. Uh, hey, you know we still we're still looking for those um, H I G H how I got here uh, segments. Steve, come on. You gotta gotta get back with the with the program. Um, anyway, he sent in. Uh, a uh, YouTube video link, um, and uh, he uh, has a quote here. Yes, sir. Let's do it, man. Great before takeoff phrase. Okay, so let's see what the heck he's talking about here. And let me get over here to my panel and add this to the stream. Landing at Troll Station, Antarctica. Watch out for those mountains. Ah. Oh, okay, good. They turned. This might be sped up a little bit. No, it's because they're over the pole. Uh, 
Oh, is that one faucet down there? Ah, because of the gravitational um, yeah. something or other. Yeah. Okay. Oh, look, there looks like a kind of a straight spot, kind of a flat oh, spot to land. On. And oh, now here it comes. Okay. Oh, I see. That was on the ground, looking up. Yeah. And it's a uh, multi-camera is... video. Okay, here we go. Now we're uh, seeing the uh, vantage point uh, from the ground, watching this 767 come in for landing on this ice runway. Lovely job. Yeah, very nice. Iceland air. Very nice. Very nice. Not as good as that Airbus A340, though, right? <laughs> That's certainly not. That was pretty. <laughs> okay, at some point here, I don't know at what point. Where I get, I'm going to try to find the place where they're about to take off because I don't remember hearing this. Uh, the thing that uh, Steve quoted must be getting close to this point. Yeah, getting there. Oh yeah, All here right. we go. Let's see. Um. All right, I'm going to start it right there. Yes, sir, let's do it, man. Let's do it, man. Yes, sir, let's do it, man. And now they're rolling down the run. All right, so if you want to check out this uh, video, we'll have the link in the show notes. We've started a trend, you know, people sharing... Um, Antarctic landing videos. We should have yes. a collection of every type. <laughs> I wouldn't imagine there are probably too many of those videos. Maybe there are. But uh, Muhammad, uh, in the in our live audience, says, I'm still a trainee in aerodrome position. Unfortunately, there are no heavy traffic in the airport, so trainers can't certify me. And then he has a little emoji with a tear He's falling crying. out of the eye. Oh. Well, we need to get some people with you know Flying big airplanes away. to land there so you can get all checked get out get rick over there yeah rick maybe that's what rick's doing right now maybe that is yeah yeah you never know jeff you got 10 minutes to the two hour mark 10 okay minutes. thank you liz she says we have 10 minutes until the two hour mark so let's continue moving on with some more feedback and uh, trying to catch my placer oh well here's a good larry. one this is from uh larry uh geezer and he says, "Don't you don't dare uh, don't you dare mention this on APG." Oh, up too late. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there's a cartoon and a bunch of old geezers sitting on park benches, uh, looking not very happy. And uh, there's a sign here that says, "Caution: Geezers will erupt without warning." <laughs> not geysers, like, but like geezers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very cute. Well, thank oh, you, Larry Geezer. We don't want to erupt, make him erupt. Um, all right, continuing. Uh, we have three Larry, Larry items in a oh, row. That's three Larry items in a row. Thanks, Liz. Uh, he says, dear J-N-N-A-S-P-M-R-N-L-P, and I guess we should add N-C. Here's a good article about anti-missile or missile technology that could be shared with the community. At the end of the article, there are some related topics for interesting reading. He says, no, no mention of shimmy dampers, though. Um, the calendar is barren this month. Maybe you can pick up a 2611 for a Tulsa meetup. That's the flight number. 
I know a German restaurant with a selection of brews. Hmm, that sounds good. Now, Tempting. I don't believe I have any Tulsa layovers no. this month. I, by the way, I finally nope. got off my duff and uh, updated the uh, APG community calendar and uh, put my trips on there. Nope, so, none this month. You've got Dallas, Charlotte, Columbia, Dayton, and White Plains. Okay, Dallas, Charlotte, Charlotte Columbia, Columbia, White Plains. D Dayton and White Plains. Dayton and, uh, yeah, White, White Plains, Plains the rest of the month. So, uh, But I think I bid for some trips next month that have uh, Tulsa layovers. So maybe we'll get to check out that German restaurant uh, next month, Larry. Um, anyway, the article that he uh, sent us a link to is from Ops Group ops.group uh, slash blog and uh, last line of defense anti-missile tech on civilian aircraft oh yeah i guess that was because of uh mm -hmm. yep. fedex's fedex yeah uh, withdrawn wanting now, to but... uh, yeah withdrawn uh, proposal to put anti-missile defense on its a320s or 321s i think mm -hmm. um so let's see. The FAA was left scratching its head. There were no rules in place to allow them to respond with a yay or even a nay. Uh, it's almost uncharted territory for commercial aviation, so much so that they're asking the public for feedback. But with surface-to-air weaponry, a growing threat to aviation and conflict zones around the, country, or the, around the world, why is flying higher or avoiding them our only line of defense when these countermeasures could be installed as our last? After all, they work for the military. Why not for us, the civilian aviators of the world? Anyway, it goes on and talks about um, you know various types of countermeasures. And this is the kind of stuff that uh, Captain Nick is very familiar with. Uh, used to use a lot of these countermeasures, didn't you, uh, to avoid getting yeah, hit by missiles? Yeah, most of the aircraft that I flew were fitted with them. But um, uh, the problem is that the sort of, uh, top-notch military um, countermeasures that will defeat the latest generation of uh, surface-to-air missile. Um, they're, they're, they're pretty highly classified uh, and unlikely to be given uh, the technology to a civilian outfit where you, you don't know where it's going to go afterwards or who's going to have access to it when it's landing away in you know, a different part of the world, um, how you keep your secret secret uh, and keep that technology secret. So hmm. uh, that that's one thing. I mean, they, they, I've read some of the articles. They, they talk about some of the very basic uh, initial uh, countermeasures that have been around since World War II, more or less, uh, you know, chaff and flares, basically. Mm -hmm. Chaff is, um, you know, little strips of aluminium released in packets uh, of the same wavelength as a radar might be. It might confuse a radar fuse or um, a radar tracking uh, missile. Um, but missiles have moved on well past that because of the length of time that chaff has been around you know, the missile manufacturers have found ways to defeat it. Uh, if it, it, The most basic being when you release chaff, it comes to a halt almost immediately. Uh, so a, an aircraft doesn't react like that. So a missile tracking something that has suddenly stopped in midair, it'll reject that and go back and reacquire the aircraft. Same with flares. Uh, it's possible to have flare rejection um, technology inside a missile um, so that, you know, you, 
you, I'm perhaps unlikely at times to be able to use flares successfully. You've got airline pilots got to be able to see the missile coming to know when to release flares, or you have to have a device on board which detects the uh, missile coming at you. Um, usually something like a, a small pulse Doppler radar, which now requires you to have another radar unit uh, fitted on the aircraft pointing backwards. Uh, well, in fact, you know, in most directions, downwards and backwards, um, which is going to be expensive. And that has to learn to trigger the flares. You can't have it triggering them too close to the ground. It could be a danger to the public or to the airfield. If you have magnesium flares popping out of an aircraft, is it... Uh, on short finals, you know, you can imagine that happening over a fuel farm on a mm. civilian airport. Uh, it's going to be a nightmare. So, and those ma magnesium are, is not a uh, magnesium fire is not an easy thing to put out. No, absolutely, and burns very hot, so it can burn straight through other metals. So there, uh, and that's just the most basic form of uh, counter uh, missile technology that's out there the sort of stuff that you really need if uh, someone's launching sophisticated missiles at you uh, you're unlikely to be able to get hold of uh, let alone the cost uh, it's going to be the cost of fitting another engine at least you know several million mm. dollars uh, to every airframe um, so I, i'm not sure it'll it'll happen much better yeah to steer clear of places there aren't that many places in the world where you're in you know there's a major threat and when one appears i mean i wouldn't be going anywhere near uh, the russian borders right now um but uh, you know you, you've just got to pay the money to go around and it's a lot cheaper than either losing an airplane or having to pay to have all your aircraft uh, fitted with anti-missile technology no need for that nick because craig has just come up with a solution can't right. passengers jam enemy radar with their 5G phones? <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect solution. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Thank you, Craig. And also, iHall Boxes is mentioning something about hex code spoofing. I'm not even sure I understand what that is. Does it have something to do with identify friend and foe or something? Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's talking hexadecimal, I guess. I, I yeah. don't know. Elaborate, I haul boxes. What is hex code spoofing? Pardon me, Liz? Oh, yes. Uh, Liz says that you can send us in some feedback regarding hex code spoofing, if you'd like. Um, in the meantime, um, thank you for... Oh, how do I get rid of that? Okay, hide. There we go. Um, so, if you want to read uh, this article that we were just referring to and then Larry sent us, uh, again, in the show notes, and... Finally, uh, Larry sent us in another piece of feedback, and it, of course, <laughs> is, he said, I think that Captain Nick had this idea first. And again, it's our oh, favorite yeah. cartoonist, uh, Gary Larson, a far side uh, cartoon. And uh, there is a hot air balloon with a bird with a very, very pointy bill. Uh, yes, I guess a woodpecker. Uh, or a balloon pecker in this uh, in this case, uh, about to do his pecking on this hot air balloon envelope. And the two balloonatics in the basket, <laughs> well, thanks for noticing, Liz. Um, uh, she said something about a big pecker. Uh, on the on the wood. Well, I was looking at the two balls hanging from the bottom of that <laughs> oh, basket. But, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> family show. Uh, um, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, anyway, sandbags. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, they've been called worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the latest uh, anti-balloon uh, technology. You can train woodpeckers to do this. Uh, uh, can you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I've, I've released a few in Australia. So uh-huh. <laughs> we, we should find out the results before long. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, uh, Larry, for uh, the contributions to our show. And Brilliant. now... Very funny, Larry. Very it funny. is perfect timing. It's time for us to play something that we've really missed here. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a plain tale. Uh, this week's version or uh, installment is entitled The Life-Saving Bombers. And so without further ado, take it away, old pilot. The old pilot's plane tails. The life-saving bombers. It's 2008, and a McDonnell Douglas DC-10 is flying over Southern California. The DC-10 was the world's first three-engined, wide-body airliner, with two of its big General Electric CF-6s slung in pods under the giant wings, and a third, looking a little out of place, wedged into the base of its fin, the vertical stabiliser. This massive airliner was designed to convey some 300 passengers around the world in comfort and safety. Its first-class section would have been quiet and refined, with big, comfortable recliners for the passengers who could watch the planet drift along beneath them from 35,000 feet whilst they sipped on their champagne cocktails. Today, this wide-body airliner was down around 200 feet and doing a mere 165 knots but not as you might expect on the final approach to Los Angeles International Airport at the end of another long trans-Pacific flight from Tokyo, nor were there any seats on board for the passengers. The aircraft was nowhere near an airport and doing a completely different job. Instead of a cargo of bored businessmen and excited holidaymakers, This aged aircraft, it was 31 years old, was carrying 12,000 gallons, that 45,000 litres of bright red liquid in a huge tank attached to the centre of the fuselage. A short while before, the big airliner had been on the ground with water hoses attached and a massive weight of fire retardant was being loaded in just 20 minutes. Now they were chasing a tiny King Air around a mile away into a smoke-filled valley near Tehachapi, about a hundred miles north of Los Angeles. Their usual lead plane had departed to refuel, so they had joined up with the backup aircraft. The little King Air was difficult to keep in sight, as it buzzed through the smoke billowing from the fires below, leading them deeper into an inferno of burning wood. The temperatures on the ground were unimaginable, 
wood smoulders at 380 degrees centigrade, that's 720 degrees Fahrenheit, and will ignite at 590 degrees centigrade, 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. But an established wildfire has a wave of heat that precedes it, running at 800 degrees centigrade, 1,470 Fahrenheit. The volume of turbulent, fast-rising air was a big problem for the spotter plane that led the massive water bomber in. But for the airliner, with its weight and momentum, it wasn't expected to be too rough. Inside the DC-10's cockpit, the crew of three were on their third run of the day over the wildfire that would, by the end, have consumed 12,400 acres of forest. Their previous drops had successfully damped down several edges of the blaze, but parts were still out of control. Through the windshield, they could see a wall of smoke rising up against the bright blue Californian sky. They were aiming for a ridge which was off on their left-hand side, along which they would paint a line a red streak with a cascading stream of retardant liquid. Fire retardant is mainly water, but mixed in are phosphates and sulphate salts, which prevent combustion of the cellulose that makes up the organic plant material, and also acts as a fertiliser to encourage new growth once the fire has passed. To stop the water-salt mix from atomizing or evaporating quickly, a clay known as Fuller's Earth, commonly found in beauty products, paint, plaster, adhesives and pharmaceuticals, is mixed in along with guar gum, a thickening agent. The colour comes from iron oxide, which has the advantage of marking where recent drops are, but after a few days in the sun it will fade to an earthy shade of brown. To top it all off are a few trade secret additives and some corrosion inhibitors and flow conditioners. The life of a wildfire has various stages and the use of aerial firefighting aircraft is often one of the final resources to be bought in, as hopefully other methods will have worked before resorting to this expensive strategy. One of the most important factors in dealing with wildfires is how quickly the smoke can be spotted. In the past, the US Forest Service had 10,000 lookouts in which lonely observers would gaze across the treetops for days on end looking for the telltale wisps of smoke rising through the canopy of trees. Nowadays, only a few hundred remain, their job being done by infrared cameras, drones, aircraft and satellites. It was always a solitary job, sitting out in the wild, the target of marauding bears, storms and lightning. Strikes are common on those high towers, so the observers sit on wooden stools with big glass insulators on the legs. Some countries attack the first signs of smoke with water bombers, but an aerial attack can't entirely put out a fire. That needs firefighters on the ground. In the US, a rapid response team is dispatched, fully kitted out with firefighting gear and water-carrying vehicles. 
If the location is a little more remote, then a plane or a small helicopter will be dispatched. This is usually just to check it out and give a rough estimate of how big the fire is, but in some cases they'll carry smoke jumpers. There are nine such teams in the US, but they are also established in Russia and Canada. After parachuting in, they're supplied by drops of food, water and firefighting tools, making them self-sufficient for at least 48 hours. The initial responders use both dry and wet firefighting techniques. The dry method involves creating boundaries around the fire and letting it burn itself out. Either way, they try to contain it as soon as possible. Hopefully during this initial attack... But if it can't be dealt within the first hour or so, then they move on to the next phase, the extended attack. For this, a lot more resources are required. The more time a wildfire has to burn, the bigger it gets and the more difficult it becomes to control. As soon as the fire passes the first response phase, an incident control team is assembled, which requires a coordination and control centre to deal with the wider strategy. If the fire is close to a town, then they'll throw everything at it. Initially just vehicles and firefighters, but that will quickly escalate to fire trucks and then much larger tankers. They use a lot of machinery, like bulldozers, to clear vegetation and create boundaries. The tactics they use depends on the type of terrain. Attacking a grass fire differs dramatically from the methods used to fight a pine fire or a tall forest fire. But generally speaking, it's a two-phased operation made up of direct and indirect attacks. The direct attack is aimed at the flanks of the fire to narrow the front. This is often done with water, fire beaters, or by digging earth boundaries parallel to the flames. The work usually starts from the areas that have already been burnt, because these are unlikely to catch fire again. If the fire is too intense, and it's not safe to send people and fire trucks in, then indirect attacks are made. This means positioning crews away from the fire, burning down vegetation ahead of the flames and attacking it with aircraft. The aircraft drop fire retardant and water, but if the smoke gets too bad and visibility drops, airborne attacks will have to cease. If that occurs, it might be time to work with the police and the army to try and evacuate people and close roads. If it's too late for them to leave, then they'll have to stay and defend themselves. That's when it's actually safer for people to prepare their houses and stay inside. In a worst-case scenario, there might be hundreds of people on the ground, multiple different agencies involved and several aircraft in the skies, as it was when our DC-10 was turning in to line up for its drop over a Kern County ridge in July 2008. The attack pattern that the King Air and the following tanker made was similar to a big circuit. The DC-10 crew had been briefed to cross the ridgeline and drop at 7,700 feet on a pressure setting of 29.96 inches on a heading of 095 degrees. The tanker was about a mile behind the lead aircraft and they advised that they were descending down to the attack altitude. The King Air pilot 
advised that there wasn't any turbulence, and he gave a short description of the drop area and the start point, and then he looked behind to watch the DC-10 approach the ridge. Lead aircraft are used to assist tankers in the approach profile to the drop site. The pilots are provided with more extensive training in low-level flight and fire management, and they generally fly a profile run whilst the tanker orbits and keeps constant view of the lead aircraft. The tanker then joins the lead aircraft and flies an identical profile whilst completing the retardant drop. The DC-10 captain turned his aircraft left to line up, reaching 35 degrees of bank, following the track of the King Air in front. He had been listening to the commentary of his crew and the lead aircraft. 12 miles, 180 knots, 7 miles, 500 feet, 300 feet, but he had allowed the tanker to drop a little below the height of the King Air in front. He's banking left but hits what he thinks is turbulence, and his aircraft drops down amongst the treetops, which are suddenly up all around the windshield. His reaction is immediate. He pulls back hard and piles the power on, but it's too late. The sound and thuds of their wings impacting the trees is obvious. There's a sharp intake of breath, but then they're through and climbing away. The flight engineer is up out of his seat to confirm they have damage to the left aileron, slats and flaps. They climb and then dump the retardant before limping back to their base. The first tree they hit was 45 feet high at a base elevation of 7,786 feet. Then they ploughed through 12 more before climbing away. There was extensive damage under the aircraft, but the crew had survived. Not so for everyone doing this dangerous job. After some prominent air tanker crashes in 2002, a federal panel was convened that dubbed the safety record for air tankers as abysmal. 136 crew had been killed doing their job since the 1950s, often because the aircraft they were using were old, usually ex-military machines that were close to the end of their lives and not really suitable for the rigours of low flying. The concept of aerial water-bombing fires stretches back to Frederick Karl von koenig Worthausen's observations of a blaze whilst overflying California in 1929 during his round-the-world flight. He was en route from San Francisco to Los Angeles when he saw a large bushfire which apparently prompted him to envision aerial firefighting using flame-retardant chemicals as part of the future for aviation. Wildfires have been a part of a natural cycle in our environment for as long as there have been plants around to burn. Post-fire charcoal sediments have been found and aged to the Silurian period, 419 million years ago. They've been such a regular occurrence that species of plants have evolved to rely on fire for their growth and reproduction. Before mankind came on the scene, lightning strikes were the source of ignition, 
although some large birds, such as the black kites of Australia, have been known to pick up burning brands and drop them in a new area so that they can catch the prey flushed out by the fire that they started. Early man managed their environment and used fire to generate new growth, but modern man is by far the most common cause of the wildfires that have plagued us in recent history, whether by arson, accident, or through man-made infrastructure. Fires caused by downed electricity cables have led to some of the most damaging wildfires ever recorded. The California campfire of 2018 was the most destructive wildfire in the world. Although it cost 85 people their lives, it was only the 13th most deadly worldwide. However, it was estimated that the power company, responsible for the poor maintenance of their lines, had liability of $30 billion. They filed for bankruptcy. Early attempts to extinguish fires from the air proved difficult. In 1930, the U.S. Forest Service used an old Ford trimotor to drop a beer keg full of water over a fire, but it wasn't until the post-World War II era that the surplus of military aircraft made it feasible to experiment cheaply with the concept of aerial firefighting. The development of crop dusters went hand-in-hand with water bombers, but it was quickly discovered that the water would rapidly evaporate, often before it even reached the ground. Small containers of water that would break on impact with the ground were tried, but eventually two men, Joe Eli of the Forest Service and Floyd Nolter, an agricultural pilot, found that their modified steermen worked well if they sprayed a slurry of water and sodium-calcium borate. From there, the inventory of firefighting aircraft grew until there are now a plethora of vehicles available. Almost any utility or transport helicopter can be converted to carry a specialised firefighting bucket, which it fills from a local supply and can deliver with great accuracy. Fixed-wing aircraft that are commonly used vary from the light air tractor through the medium-sized C-130 Hercules and PBY Catalina, to the heavy DC-10 and Aleutian IL-76. There have even been a few Boeing 747 supertankers in service, but the last one was retired in 2021. Almost all these aircraft have been converted into aerial tankers, but there's at least one purpose-built aircraft the Canadair CL-415 Super Scooper. This medium-sized amphibious flying boat can dip into almost any reasonably sized body of water in flight to scoop up and refill its water tanks in seconds, allowing it to make repeated passes over a wildfire without having to return to an airfield to refill its tanks. As such, it's become a very popular choice for many countries, particularly Canada, France, Greece, Italy, Morocco, Spain and Turkey. Originally built by Canadair, it's now produced by Viking Air. Perhaps the ultimate water bomber, however, 
was the enormous Martin Mars flying boat. It could scoop 30 tons of water in only 22 seconds, but although four were converted to aerial tanker duties, only two remain, and sadly none are currently out there fighting fires. Very cool. Um, lots of information about uh, the history of water bombing uh, is all new to me. Uh, me likewise. It, that's why it took me like two weeks to uh, assemble that one because you know I, I I write a lot of my tales from previous knowledge and experience. When you've got to research a subject from scratch, it takes some doing, and I knew nothing about. <laughs> Uh, firefighting from the air. I now know a little bit, but I would far would not really call myself an expert by any means. That um, that Martin Mars, um, I think the one that oh, the, yeah. was the last one you were talking about, and the, its yeah. incredible scooping capability. Yeah, absolutely. There there are a couple on a on a lake somewhere, but they're not currently flying. They're they're oh. laid up. But uh, they're they're ex World War Two. Those things they're a huge piece I think of they, kit. I think they had one um, at Oshkosh a couple of years ago that yep, landed in did. the uh, and and hit something and did some yep a lot of damage to the hole. Uh oh. Yeah, no, really? it landed in Lake Winnebago, which is the lake right next to the airport there, where they actually have a seaplane base for for Oshkosh. Mm-hmm. And they had a precautionary landing because they had a some sort of engine warning indicator or something. And when they landed, they hit something on the the bottom of the bottom of the airplane, and were laid up there for a day or two, doing repairs. However, you do repairs on a seaplane in the water. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got no a story about that. A guy lands his seaplane in the middle of Africa, and uh, it was a huge Empire flying boat, and hmm. uh, they had to send engineers down to darkest Africa to repair the damn thing. <laughs> wow. Oh, very impressive. No. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, that was that was kind of good. Uh, wildfires, of course, traditionally, uh, the knowledge has been gained and they, they um, people know how to fight them. But you know, uh, wildfires following uh, long droughts and um, you know increased summer temperatures uh, have escalated in severity, uh, and you know that. I was just watching The Planet, uh, which is, um, you know, a really good nature documentary we have here uh, with uh, Richard Attenborough narrating and out there. Never saying that the, <laughs> the yeah, fires, uh, they're worried that they are going to get so intense that the plants that um, can regrow afterwards, the, the heat of the fire will be so great that it will actually penetrate the earth and destroy all the seeds that might be there waiting to pop out once the fire mm. has gone. Uh, and so that you'll just be in, left with a desert after a wildfire, which would be a nightmare. That's no good. I, I also thought it was no. interesting, you were talking about the uh, that bird that was... Uh, actually picking up pieces, uh, yes. burning embers to start another fire somewhere else to yeah. help them, you know, thrush there out. There are a the... number of species that have been observed doing this trick, which I think wow. is pretty pretty clever using a tool like that. Uh, yeah. I'm not quite sure how it flies along uh, without 
burning itself because it, it, it's got burning twigs in its mouth. When it flies forward, surely they catch fire and burn its face. But Yeah. I or its know. feathers or something. Jeff, yes. that, uh, yeah, that previous plane Perhaps tail. it flies backwards. That, uh, that, Liz is saying pla- the, previous the previous plane, plane, tail. plane tail is called an, an engineer's story. An engineer's story. And it was on APG oh, 213. Right. APG 213 was the episode that that plane tail was played on. Thank you, Liz. Wow. Well, that is brilliant. Thanks, yeah. staff. <laughs> and uh, by the way, um, uh, Frederick Karl von Koenig of Worthausen, um was the chap that was first flew over a fire and went, oh, I think we, we should drop stuff on these fires. That would be very clever. Yeah. Uh, he's actually the subject of the next plane tale. Because oh, wow. once I found about him, I discovered he'd done some very interesting things. Oh, interesting. Um, so the next plane tale is, uh, and I'm saying this because um, poor old Roger's not going to have time to um, read it out in the intro for the next show. It's uh, Frederick Karl von Koenig Wotthausen and the Crazy Baron. Okay. I'll have to get a clip <laughs> of you saying week. that. And uh, <laughs> then we'll just slide that right on in. All right. Um, very good. Well, I look forward to that. We all do. And uh, so nice to have the plain tales back on the show. Thanks. Thanks. Even, so if it, even if it means having to have you as well. <laughs> you know, just I, could, I could just send you the plain tales. Oh, that's an idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, of course, he knows I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, let's continue on with uh, number nine uh, feedback from Rob. Uh, Rob Legal in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, he says, now that's a fly club. Sent us a link to a bbc.com article about a retired Boeing 747 that has been transformed into a party venue. And uh, we're now showing on the video a few photos of the 747 where it's parked and then some interior shots. And then, of course, it in action if you're someone who APG wants meetup. to go to uh, the APG disco. Yeah, <laughs> we, could get, we could get Carlos to be a DJ there. Yeah, Carlos can uh, be our DJ. That'd be great. But uh, I, I think there's a downside to this. It's just yeah. encouraging people to get drunk on airplanes. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, the aircraft in Kemble, Gloucestershire, has been painted in... The, how do I do on that? Uh, okay. Good, yeah. Uh, okay. Kemble, yes. And it, Gloucestershire, yes. Gloucestershire. That's not bad. Has been uh, painted. Kemble <laughs> used to be an RAF base. Uh, it, oh. The Red Arrows used to be... Or it might have been the Yellow Jacks in those days used to be based there and uh, Central Flying School. It's quite a well-known old airfield. No longer. Uh, it's civvy now. Oh. Let's see, it's, uh, the airplane's been painted in the, is it Negus or Negus? How Negus, do you, yeah, livery, Negus. Negus, livery? I think either will suffice. Okay, that, ad, that adorned the airline's planes in the 70s and 80s. Its galley's been transformed into a bar and party venue, with, uh, and the first party booking is due to take place next month with a wedding booked for spring. Most of the plane has been preserved as a museum piece, and public tours will be available to book via an app. And uh, so anyway... Uh, interesting article. Uh, thank you, Rob, for making us aware of that. Uh, let's see. Devin has a pilot PA inquiry. Hello, Liz, fellow APG passengers and flight crew. This is yet another West Coast listeners who you will never come out to meet. 
Oh, that's not true, Devin. You guys just kidding. On a recent Southwest flight from Vegas to Sacramento on a 737-700, I found the pilot PAs, the, the pilot public announcements of PAs, virtually inaudible, either on the ground or in flight. I found it quite annoying, as I typically enjoy hearing what the pilots say. How else am I supposed to know what direction the winds are coming from at my destination? Anyway, have you ever been, I think he was being a little sarcastic there. Anyway, have you ever been told by either a crew member in flight or a passenger after landing that they were unable to hear any of the PAs? Do you think that this may be a safety concern if an emergency were to arise? It would be pretty shocking to find that we had diverted to Reno and was unable to hear the PA telling us so. If you were told that it was hard to hear in the back, would you be able to control the volume from the cockpit? Hope all is well. Keep the blue side up. And uh, he says, P.S. Jeff, fun fact. If I have my fun fact correct, that is, you were born in the same hospital as um, as he and his twin, uh, St. Mary's Memorial Hospital in Long Beach, California. Just many, many. Oh, you didn't have to do that. He capitalized the second many <laughs> years between us or before us. Yes, Devin from Sacramento. Um, yes, and uh, I was born at St. Mary's Memorial Hospital in December of 1958. Many, many, many years probably before you and your twin. And uh, so, uh, Nick, I'll let you uh, start with the answer here because you actually uh, wrote back to Devin regarding this. Yeah, the, the very uh, simple answer is the PA system is very much a, uh, a safety device. We use it to give uh, information to our passengers, but primarily it's there as a way for us to communicate with both the passengers and the cabin crew en masse uh, in the event of an emergency. So if it's not working properly, it needs to be written up. Uh, on my aircraft, um, one of the reasons that everybody on the aircraft made a little PA was to ensure that the PA could be um, transmitted and heard from every station on the aircraft, including uh, the flight deck, primarily the captain's headset. That was the one we had to use because that's the one you would probably have on in an emergency um, and that everyone could hear it. And occasionally you would get back a um a message from part of the aircraft saying uh pa is a bit quiet down here so uh, we would uh, make sure that it was adequate for the flight um and if not we'd get an engineer on board to fix it because it is important the backup are loud hailers that are positioned uh, usually around the doors uh, so that uh, if the PA system isn't working, say you've had a power failure, uh, the cabin crew can grab those and bellow at the passengers through a loud hailer, telling them what to do. But yeah, it's very important. So uh, if you do notice that the PA is not coming through to uh, your part of the aircraft when you're a passenger, please um, alert the cabin crew. They may not understand the significance. They should, but they may not. So if you've got a pilot uh, seeing you off the airplane and uh, thanking you for flying with them, then mention it to them and they should nip back and write it up. Yes. And I don't know, n none of the airplanes that I've flown, Captain Nick, have had any kind of a volume control knob for the PA up in the cockpit. No. <laughs> um, I think that's some, that's an that's a engineer or maintenance technician's 
um, job or, or I guess, responsibility to ensure that the volume is correct. And I think they have to take off panels and use screwdrivers and that kind of thing to adjust that kind of thing. Yeah, there's going to be a, re- a set of rheostats in uh, the aircraft somewhere. And certainly when the aircraft goes in for a seat check and is stripped apart, that'll be one of the things they will check. And they will check and balance the audio throughout the aircraft so that it comes out clearly and audibly from everywhere. Um, but of course, things uh, change and uh, sometimes you get a fault uh, and it will alter it. The engineer might be able to fix it or it might need um, stripping out and replacing. But Either way, um, it needs to be attended to. Yeah. Um, I I do find it also um, frustrating uh, when I'm traveling non-revenue passenger or deadheading on a flight. And I know that um, the pilot is making a PA and I can't understand a darn thing that they're saying. And I uh, try to remember to brief to my flight attendants that uh, if the PAs are... um, the volume is too low or they're just plain under, uh, mis- not understandable uh, to uh, let us know so that we can use a different way of making the announcements. Um, so when we do the check on the ground, you know, we usually are just using the, the handset and uh, usually the volume on that is, is pretty adequate. But a lot of times we will use, as Nick mentioned, our um, headset microphones and some you know, a lot of us use our own personal uh, headsets and some of them aren't very good. The, the microphones aren't very sensitive. And uh, so, you know, you can, you, you really can't hear very well. Now I use a Bose A20 um, noise reduction headset and it has a really great microphone on it. That's the reason why I really love the thing and uh, usually have no complaints when it comes to um being able to hear what I'm saying. Some and good advice and from iHall Boxes. iHall Boxes has good advice. It's generally a good idea to go to the lavatory before making your PA. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Very clever. Not really. Um, but uh, that was terrible. <laughs> that was, yeah, really not good at all, uh, I have to say. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, um, good points made regarding uh, PAs. Yeah. So I I mentioned earlier, you know, the route that I take to go to work in California, I unfortunately often get stuck on CRJs from Denver to California. Mm -hmm. And it seems like I've always had the most trouble with that on the CRJs. I don't know if it's because it's an older airplane or because it's a little louder with the fuselage mounted engines, but I think I've always had the most trouble. Uh, You know, I can hear that a PA is being made, but it's kind of the unintelligible aspect of it, Mm -hmm. like you said, that gets a little frustrating. Yeah, worrying too, because whilst you often don't care what the hell the PA is, if if they're saying something that's important for you to save your life during an, an incident, you really want to know what's being said. <laughs> yep. Yep. And and I would hope, you know, I, I don't know if this is the case, but I would hope that if there really is something happen, something happening, maybe the pilot's got a little more adrenaline going and he's speaking a little louder. Uh, a little more forcefully rather than some of those PAs where it seems like even the pilots are kind of on autopilot and they're kind of flowing through there, you know, oh, we've reached 10,000 feet and, you know, we have two hours and 20 minutes to our destination and and only only half-heartedly into it, I suppose. Right. Yeah. 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 Come on, guys. Yeah. Let's, or guys and gals, let's, uh, let's spiff up those PAs and make sure that People can hear them and, you know, might be worth mentioning in your 
pre-flight briefing to the uh, head flight attendant that, uh, you know, if they're hard to hear, you know, usually they're ignoring anything that we say, whether it's, um, you know, something that they can hear or not. Because I can't tell you how many times I've made a PA and said, you know, when we're going to be touching down, when we are expecting to arrive at the gate and five minutes later. Yeah. What time? Uh, passengers wondering what time uh, we might. Be, <laughs> did you not just hear me say I'm so disappointed in you? Anyway. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, you missed my PA on the how sound of my voice. How could you do that? You give, you you do give that? good That's PA. Yeah. Well, can you? Yeah. Well, thank you. Liz. She says, Liz says I give P- good PA. Uh, in fact, the problem with my PAs, just like this show, uh, when people listen to my voice, they fall asleep. And, that's uh, true. The flight attendant. <laughs> Your first like officer, that. that's not good. Yeah, the first officer. Yeah, he usually falls asleep as well. Um, let's see, what was I going to say? Oh, I just remembered. Liz um, Gubby sent yes some um, uh, some feedback to us. Um, he had a meetup in Ottawa. And I was going to play that during the getting to know us, but because I didn't write it in the show notes, um, I forgot to. And uh, so loop back there. Yeah, let me uh, let me get back to his um, his uh, email, and I think it's because he sent it directly to me and not to the feedback email address. Um, So uh, let me read what he has to say. Uh, so someone finally agreed to come and have a beer with me. Andrew Lushman, uh, kindly met me at my stepson's restaurant playback in Ottawa. And, uh, we spent a couple of hours gassing about APG airplanes made of aluminum and eating so top grub. So eating so top grub, I'm not sure. Uh, prepared by Ryan, who is his stepson. Andrew chose a wonderfully named IPA in honor of your IPA connoisseurs. Juicy Ass IPA from the Flying Monkey Brewery. I <laughs> love that. We both hope to get together again in the not-too-distant future. $10 worth of elbow grease to the listener who can identify the aircraft on my gopping Hawaiian shirt. Get well soon, Captain Nick. Okay, so that means, uh, let me uh, share this. Just bear with me here. I'm going to have to kind of do this on the fly. So share screen window. And here we go. Share. Um, Hmm. I don't see anything. Do you? Uh, Oh, there we go. Thank you, Liz. So there is Paul or Gubby and Andrew, and I can't, it's just too small of a, oh, wait a minute. It's a helicopter. It's a helicopter. What kind of helicopter is that? Huey. Is it a Huey? I don't know. I can't really see. There's a zooming in button at the bottom that I can see. Oh, okay. Let me see if I can... Zoom in then. A helicopter. Oh, on his shirt? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hang on. There's an eight-bladed palm tree, I, but I don't think I don't, that's it. <laughs> I don't think that's a Huey. There you go. Oh. Yeah, I'm trying to... No, I'm trying to zoom in, and I can't. That's as zoomed in as I can get. No, it looks like a bigger helicopter than a than a Huey. Maybe, maybe a uh, Sikorsky something or other. 
I'm guessing. Sea, I don't know. I Hall saying it's a sea king. A sea king. Okay. Is that a Sikorsky? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. A CH something probably. <laughs> Thanks. Good information, Nick. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm full of it. Yes, you are. And there's uh, speaking of full of it, I'd like to be full of this, this juicy ass <laughs> IPA. Plump and unfiltered. Look at that from the uh, Flying Monkey Brewery. I like that. And then uh, anything else? Oh, then he actually did send us a video. So uh, let's see here. Let me get back to this and uh, take this off the screen and play this. Hopefully this will work. So uh, this is the inaugural meeting of the Airline Pilot Guide Chapter, brackets, Ottawa. And this is Andrew Larson. And this is Gubby. Now, Gubby, I hate to interrupt and I hate to be critical here, but you need to get an external microphone uh, and, you know, so that we can actually hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, this is like a PA. Yeah, it's like a bad PA. Exactly. Thanks, Liz. I managed to find somebody who come out for a beer with me. So uh, wishing everybody back at uh, Airline Pilot Guy, especially Nick, uh, get well soon. And um, we've had a lovely evening out and a good meal. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been good. It's been great, actually. So introduce yourself. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm Andrew. I've been a, a listener since uh, let's call it the 150s. So for many many years, big fan. Uh, have loved it, and uh, yeah, absolutely thrilled to have uh, met Gubby here and chat a little bit about aviation. Well, a lot of it actually, um, and uh, talk about uh, the community. It's been great. It's been great. It's been good. Um, I'm Gubby. Those who know me, I'm in the RCA for a bit longer. Um, yeah, it's been a really good night out just to chat airplanes and stuff. And actually, as, uh, as Ottawa is finally easing out some of the lockdowns, we've actually managed to get to a restaurant where my stepson is the head chef. Does a decent meal. Playback, Ottawa. That's true. Some good tacos. Good tacos. Really good tacos. Great beer. Great beer. Um, I had some juicy ass beer. Actually. You had a bit of juicy ass beer. Yeah. Juicy ass beer is a beer here. Yeah? I just had crab canoe, which is bad if you're in a canoe but good if you're drinking beer so uh i'm going to sign off um captain gub gubby and uh i guess uh flight student watch there you go all right all the best all right that's great i love these um take note people uh, have a have a meetup whether it involves one of us here on the crew or not and uh, do some video and send it in, and we'll we'll be happy to and play it. Send for you. it in landscape. Yeah, I was going to say Nev uh, <laughs> Neville Bounds will probably be like, completely freaking out in that vertical oh, format. Yeah. Let's yeah. be more I'm critical. I'm going to warn Neville not to watch this show because yeah. he, he'll just he'll just turn and turn. Yeah, just turn it ninety he'll degrees. Have a heart. He'll go into atrial fibrillation and yeah. stick a mic on it. And, and get an external microphone. No, you know, I, if it if it means doing it in vertical format and having the built-in microphone as as uh, Gubby just did there, then we'll take whatever we can get. But uh, yeah, I do appreciate you together. taking the time to do that. And I'm glad you guys got together there in Ottawa. Absolutely. Um, yeah. With your juicy asses and everything. Oh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. StreamYard is sharing a window. No, they're not. Here, let me. Oh, I don't know why it's saying that I'm still sharing something. Okay. 
Um, let's no, see. How, how soon? How close to the end, uh, Liz? Uh, just a little under 20 minutes. Okay. Um, let's just knock out one or two more and then uh, call it a day. What do you yep. think? Wrap okay. it up. Yep. Um, this next one is from Jacob from Norway. He says, Dear Captain Jeff and the rest of the team, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your fantastic show and the effort you have to make. Uh, Captain Jeff, I've been listening to your podcast since episode 65. I'm also Whoa, a Catholic. Well done, sir. I'm also Catholic and an airline pilot. Wow. That's cool. Uh, during the last seven years, I've been I based... know a show just for you. <laughs> yeah, what, the Catholic pilot? I think, well... <laughs> Catholic pilot show. Yeah. Oh, don't... wait, damn, it's, it's not yeah, here not anymore. anymore. That, uh, yeah. yeah. Obsolete. Thankfully. Uh, let's see. Uh, during the last seven years, I've been based in Norway with the same company. Hopefully, I'll be able to meet all of you one day over a beer. Once again, thank you. Best regards, Jacob Jablicki. Jablicki. Jablicki? Uh, something like that. Thank you, Jacob from Norway for sending in that feedback. That's awesome. 65. That You've been here for a very, very long time. We do appreciate that. Yeah, congratulations. And thanks for your support. Yes. Um, oh, uh, Gordy. Uh, sent us this. Hi, Captain Jeff. I've been listening to the podcasts in uh, Cruise. It makes the top of descent come sooner. I'm because uh, you're asleep. <laughs> yeah, time flies when you're sleeping. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm actually a 737 FO out of Dubai. I've started a YouTube channel by the name Gordy in Color. Oh, you misspelled color. Yeah, C O L O U R. Yeah, it's an perfect. Well done, Gordy. It's an automotive channel, but when on layovers, I produce some content from wherever I may be. I would really appreciate a shout out for the channel for any fellow fans of YouTube and wanting to see where I am going. No, we don't do that here. Oh, wait, we just did. <laughs> uh, so far, I've covered Belgra Belgrade, Bucharest, uh, Dar es Salaam. Is that the way you'd say that? Dar es Salaam. Yep. Dar es Salaam. Yep. Okay, Salzburg and Tirana. Uh, with, Sounds good to me. Tirana. With many more to come, including Budapest this mid-month. Of course, I expect this may not be possible, but uh, I'm such a fan of the show. I just wanted to write and tell you about it anyway. Well, it is possible. How much we did you charge him? I only, oh, I, I, I only found his channel. And I, I only charged him uh, t only 20 pounds, Liz. She was asking <laughs> how much I charged okay, for that. No, um, I didn't charge him anything, so... Uh, he says, I love the show and always nice to hear from Captain Nick and Dr. Steph. <laughs> hmm. oh, well, that's well, nice. Sorry, okay. Miami Rick. Sorry. <laughs> Not a yeah. fan, apparently. <laughs> um, or Nick C. Yeah, I guess uh, you were dissed as well. Um, anyway, again, uh, I, I did watch, I uh, found his channel and watched some of his videos. And uh, he's definitely uh, heavily into automotive stuff and like install. He, he has a must make a lot of money as a first officer for this airline out of Dubai because uh, he has a lot of cars, lots of Mercedes and BMWs. Well, and most of them are like, you know, they're, they're a few years old, aren't they? They, they yeah. may be classic cars uh, right. in the future, but uh, I suspect in somewhere like that, uh, they probably change their cars quite frequently. And mm -hmm. the old ones probably, I would have thought, not too expensive. Yeah. You could probably pick up a bargain out there. Yeah, true that. I think that um, 
where I don't, I think he lives in at least, at least in the videos that I was looking at uh, somewhere in England um, and not in Dubai. I think he flies out oh, of okay. Dubai, but I don't think he lives. I don't, I could be wrong, but I need to watch more of his uh, videos. Apparently he probably yeah, covers I, that. I, I love the ones uh, when he's down route. Um, yeah. Uh, seeing mm-hmm. his, uh, getting his opinion of, where he is, what he's doing, what it's like is is good. And particularly, you know, if there is something interesting driving around, mm-hmm. uh, it's great. So you should check it out, Gordy in Color. And actually, I've, on um, a couple of his videos, he um, has some, you know, like, a, what do you call it? Um, words Color? on... <laughs> words on the script. Captions. captions or something. Titles. Captions. Titles. <laughs> Titles. That's one. That's the that's the uh, thing I was looking a for. Technical term. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> as I said, I probably need to get more sleep. Um, anyway, and and he spells color a couple of different ways. Color the way you guys do, and then color the way we do here in the in in the cowboy land. C O L O R. You keep missing letters out. Yep. Yeah. So uh, either of those search terms in YouTube will probably uh, bring up. Gordy in color, and uh, I'll in the in the video. I mean, in, in the uh, audio only podcast. Uh, if your uh, player supports um, uh, chapter uh, images and such, you'll uh, just click on it. Uh, I should have it all linked up to his channel. So thanks, Gordy, for sending that in. I'm glad you're enjoying the show, and hopefully, uh, people here will subscribe and click the bell to uh, get notified when you put out a new video. And again, that's important. For everybody that has uh, content on YouTube uh, to subscribe to it, even if you don't really ever intend to look at another video, hitting that subscribe button on YouTube really makes a difference. Yes, Liz? About 10 minutes left to three hours. So if you're going to wrap it up, wrap it up then. Okay. I think it's now time to wrap up this week's show. We still have several items left in our feedback uh, notebook. So We'll just move those on over to 510. Woo-hoo! And uh, Liz is, uh, is expressing her joy uh, that there is uh, feedback that we can move over to uh, the next show. Uh, leftovers. Yep. Left- she loves leftovers. And uh, so uh, without further ado, let's talk about the website, uh, AirlinePilotGuy.com. It's a place where you can go to find out all kinds of information about our show, including information about the individual crew members and the community and uh, plane tales, uh, extra information regarding each of those episodes there. Uh, We have the APG library. We have ways to get uh, merchandise uh, with uh, Acme Air uh, related logos and such. And... What else am I missing? The APG calendar, a community calendars there, and so much more. Please check it out. Biographiesofthecrew.com. Yeah, I talked about that. All right. Uh, let's move on to the Meads. And uh, now Nick, I know he's still here and he's <laughs> listening to us because his, just because you turned off your video doesn't mean that you're not there, Nick, but we're going to... Let, we're going to let Nick C. give this a whirl. Uh, can you help us with uh, where people can go to um, engage with the crew uh, on social media, Nick? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think one of the most active ones is, is Twitter. Mm-hmm. We have a Twitter handle uh, at APG Crew. Uh, there's also Facebook, which I think is just Airline Pilot Guy. Mm-hmm. 
um, on Facebook. Sorry. Facebook, uh, sorry. Yep. Mm-hmm. We have yep. a email address feedback at airlinepilotguy.com mm-hmm. that's popping up on the screen so i think maybe i should be saying that oh and then okay. there's an instagram account instagram account apg crew is where yes. you'll find us yep. on instagram uh, and i wanted to make one other quick note jeff uh, yeah. if i can for just a second yeah mostly for the american uh, our american audience but i think everybody might have access to it you know this sunday tomorrow is a pretty big deal in the United States, the Super Bowl, which is probably our most iconic sporting event is happening. Um, but I, I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, they do a flyover every year. And this year, it's actually going to be the Air Force Heritage Flight oh. uh, providing the flyover, which is a cool program we have in the, here in the States where modern jets fly with uh, vintage warbirds and stuff. And so uh, they've got a flight lined up with a P-51 an A-10, an F-16, an F-22, and an F-35 flying over in formation. So that'll be a cool thing to see. Oh, nice. And that flight will be led by Steve Hinton, who's one of uh, one of our friends with the C-47 group I'm a part of. He's uh, one of the premier, if not the premier, warbird pilots uh, in our country. And uh, this is his last flight. This is kind of his oh. retirement, his Finney flight um, for the uh, Heritage Flight team. So uh, that'll be neat to see. Nice. If you want to tune in around the... Uh, Starts uh, the national anthem time. Okay, I was going to ask that when game. that uh, flyover was going to be, and that makes yeah. sense. I think that I think that game's five thirty Central Time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, man, there'd be a lot of math we'd have to do. It's uh, five thirty <laughs> p.m. So the Star Spangled Banner is probably about five twenty, and then plus seven, I think, right now. Um, plus that right? six for you, Central Time. Plus six. Okay, so maybe twenty three twenty Zulu time, I guess, is when that would happen. Okay, something like that. I've been watching uh, adverts for it on our one of our major TV channels here in the UK. So I'm pretty sure we'll get it tomorrow. Excellent. Cool. Wait a minute. So, so they're saying the kickoff time is six thirty Eastern. Okay. So, um, so Nick is right. Five thirty Central. Yeah, uh, Liz Central is just confirming is right. that uh, the kickoff time set for 6.30 Eastern, which would be 5.30 Central, and 6.30 Eastern, 18 plus 5 is 23. Yeah, so around 23.20-ish, probably. Um, probably. You know, somewhere in there between 23.20 and 23.30 um, Zulu, or UTC, or Coordinated Universal Time, or whatever you want to call it. So Greenwich Mean Time. Excellent. Um, yeah, well, thanks. Uh, I forgot to com- I've completely forgot about uh, mentioning the Super Bowl, but I didn't know if that was something that people paid attention to other than the, the citizens of the U.S. But um, yeah, thank you. Good job. And uh, who's playing? Um, the Cincinnati Bengals, which who haven't been uh, in a Super Bowl since what the seventies or. 90s? Yeah, I think maybe the 80s. It's 80s, been a maybe. long time. Okay, yeah. yeah, a long time for them. And uh, Los Angeles Rams. Yep. They're going to be uh, the two teams playing against sure. each other tomorrow night or wherever, whatever time it is where you are. And uh, let's see. Oh, you know, we can't, we can't uh, leave the show without talking about our Slack uh, team. And, right on. Uh, let's see if I can get... Uh, Hillel's attention here. Let me turn up the volume of the of the microphone and the. Hey, Hillel. Hillel, you have you have time for Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. 
Okay, that's all right. Come on over here and tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Hillel. For, Can you get uh, me a roll of toilet paper? Uh, after the show... Thank you. Just sit All right. tight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, finally, we want to thank our... Oh, listen, 50%, 50% accuracy. Oh. The last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl is 1988. Okay. Well, we got 50% accuracy on the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl, eight, 1988. <laughs> well, we did say wow. the 80s. I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was off just, and just, Nick C. was on it. So, yeah, there you go. There's your verifying. 50% right there <laughs> well done, guys. And, uh, thank you um, and uh, without further ado let's talk or let's uh, thank Liz Piper doing all the hard work behind the scenes yay well done Liz thanks everybody thank you. all right and with that we're going to go ahead and hang up and say wishing you all clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and God bless Ciao for now. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See you again. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how did I die?